Are you working? What kind of work do you do? It's the midweek podcast as we recap a very fun week and uh, looking forward to breaking everything down, Charlie. It was another wild, this time second week of uh, college baseball at the Division One ranks and uh, a lot of upsets that we're going to get into. Um, and, and as always, we go through a normal show here today, me and you uh, breaking it down. Also special this week that we got to talk to Bethune Cookman head coach Jonathan Hernandez and Johnny Hernandez was awesome to speak with. But uh, Charlie, in this show, winners, losers our starting rotation from the weekend. Uh, we'll recap the picks we had last week and uh, give you five more series, not only to watch, but uh, we'll give you some of our picks on those as well and just have overall discussion on uh, the second week of uh, college baseball. Tie a bow on that and then also uh, get ready for the third weekend coming up uh, this week. But obviously it's nonstop with the midweeks going on and uh, really in the thick of uh, the season with these teams getting going now, uh, finishing finishing their second week of play. So it's going to be a lot of fun here today. Charlie, looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, week one didn't disappoint, and week two just kept the, kept the ball rolling. A lot of fun things to get into. I'm looking forward to it. And like you said, we'll be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast. That was a great interview we had with Coach Johnny Hernandez out there at Bethune-Cookman. Like, it's great fun. I had a lot of fun. Dude had, dude had me fired up on multiple occasions. I was ready to run through a wall for him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was awesome and uh, they've got a great thing going as well. I'm um, looking forward to seeing how they just perform overall this year in the swag. So as we start, Charlie, with our winners um, first, um, I'm going to have you step up to the plate first and uh, give us your first winner. Um, then we'll go back and forth with that. Um, but give us your first winner from uh, the second weekend of college baseball. Yeah, my first winner is UCF Golden Knights. Uh, they've had a great season thus far and kept it going with a sweep over Clemson. At Clemson, that's a big win. I know Clemson isn't what they have been in the past, but still always a really good, formidable foe to face. Now, in the sweep, uh, the Golden Knights outscored the Tigers 27-15, which is obviously a great showing. The Knights are now 6-1 and one as of week two. As we're recording this podcast, obviously they will be playing in midweek today since we record on Tuesday, at least Wednesday. But they look great, and they also caused controversy as they uh, they ran down whatever that hill is called in Death Valley for Clemson that pissed a lot of people off. I thought it was pretty funny. I thought it was lighthearted. I think it was that serious, but you know, people are always going to be mad about something. Yeah, I mean, people are going to be mad, but that was a series. I mean, if anybody's mad, it's uh, UCF and what they do uh, to baseballs. I mean, they, yeah. they take out frustration on baseballs. They've got some really good hitters. I mean, you talk about putting it together a 27-run weekend. Um, that's going to win you a lot, and they're off to a great start. And I know they're a team that you were very interested to see oh, yeah. overall, and it's funny that you pick UCF because obviously um, listening to the podcast now, we already know the result of what that game will be. Obviously, we don't um, in terms of UCF and Bethune-Cookman here today, um, but obviously, like you just had mentioned, that's a big series. But either way, uh, UCF off to a great start. Um, it, it's been really fun to see what they've done to start the year, but also yeah. um, you were very interested in, in, in this team, but I think that putting a sweep together against Clemson maybe even exceeded all what was already pretty high expectations um, for this team, wouldn't you say? 
No, absolutely. Like I thought they'd be really good. I know I got some flack from our fellow small school draftee, Ryan Keller, about taking UCF in the second round. Maybe I could have waited a little longer. But, you know, I'm glad I got them where I got them, I think. Six and one's good for me. And this team looks really good. Like Ben McCabe has been as good as yes. good as advertised. Um, Lighter's been very good as well. They got a lot of really good pieces down there. They've got a lot of really good things going. And Lovely has got the whole team rolling and banging on all cylinders. Also, oh. the astron the astronauts, uh jerseys they rock every now and then for UCF, because if people didn't know uh you the UC- Central Florida was founded as a school for like aerospace engineering originally. So that's why they have such strong ties to outer space and things like that. And is the reason they have such sweet jerseys when they rock them. Well, they have great jerseys, but again, when you just look at their body of work this season, a lot of great is is what you think. I mean, I don't think it's too far to say that an above a thousand team OPS for the season so far through seven games as a team, I think if one player had that man, okay, that's really good. There are, above a thousand OPS as a team through seven games and they're hitting above 300 as a team. And like you mentioned, Ben McCabe, um, five home runs already. He's been really just a special player to watch um, this season, uh, 1500 OPS hitting 429. He's a guy that I'm, I'm having my eyes on the rest of the year. Ben McCabe um, has just been great, but just this team in general, they've already hit 18 home runs. They've, they've scored 65 runs in seven games. So that offense is electric led of course by Ben McCabe. And speaking of electricity, um, how about a team last year, Charlie, that, we were just loving, we were adoring and ooing and eyeing over especially what this one-two punch was with Bryce Hubbard and Parker Messick. But look at this year with a new head coach, a new cast of characters in the rotation, Uh, but same old Florida State, it looks like in terms of pedigree. They start the year unranked. They're all of a sudden they're 16th in the country right now, and for good reason. Link Jarrett and the boys got an impressive series win at TCU, and that's why they are my first winner here. I mean, the ACC got a hot start in general. The ACC has eight teams in the top 25 right now. (laughs) The SEC has nine. So that just shows you how good the ACC has been. And then when you can go to Fort Worth, Texas, and take two of three against TCU, a team that was sitting inside the top 10, well, you just got to tip your cap. And Jackson Baumsteiner, I mean, you've got to be impressed with what he has done on the mound. So that's why Florida State is my first winner uh, because – they just really laid it on TCU in that first game, 10 to one to take the Friday game. They win 10, eight on Saturday and they just dropped the, the Sunday game going for the sweep by one run. So yeah. in every stretch of the imagination, the Seminoles of Florida state all of a sudden look like a really, really good team and a team to be reckoned with overall, because on Fridays, this team is going to be as tough as any. Wyatt Crowell went three and a third out of the bullpen to pick yeah. up the save and only allowed one hit, no earned runs allowed. And then Jackson Bombsister, if that's how you say it. It's Bombmeister. That's why I always thought Bombmeister. Like, you got to get this name right because it's a name oh, to remember. <laughs> I'll is. tell you that. 
um, was certainly one of the better arms in the ACC, and for that matter, the country. He went five and a third, just allowed one hit, no runs, and then Crowell finished it off. I mean, that was just really an impressive display. Neither pitcher allowed an earned run, and, and they're able to win that game 10 to one. So that was really cool, and that's why Florida State is my first winner. Yeah, that's a great pick. Um, the 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 thing that I think this really shows is how good of a coach Link Jarrett is. Like, obviously, the talent they have is fantastic. Like, Florida State always has really good arms, especially. Uh, Baumeister was a massive arm out of high school. We were really excited about him last year. I'm glad to see him balling out this year. Like, because I remember sending, a, remember sending a picture yeah. in the group chat of with us in the Fungo talk. So I'm like, hey guys, that scoreboard, sixth inning, uh, no hits there. You know, looking, see what's going on there. You know. Yes, but, um, that's I mean taking a no hitter into the sixth against, against TCU. TCU too. I mean, and and he's doing this as a Friday night guy. Yeah. Um, for Florida State, a team that, I mean, when you're the coach of Florida State, like obviously they Link Jaron knows the expectations because he's been a part of that program before. Yeah. Um, but the expectations are so high, you know, getting to a regional isn't enough for this team uh, just because of how good they, that's just how consistent they've been. Uh, but Jordan carry has been great this year as well. And then also, yeah, that pitching, that pitching is something to watch out for. Of course, led the way by Baumeister, but then also yeah. Wyatt Crowell's good. I think Carson Montgomery is a weapon for this. I agree. Team. So this is really cool to see. Yeah, and I maybe Link. It's obviously too early. I'm just speaking for the fun of it a little bit, but at the same time, maybe Link Jarrett is uh the missing link for FSU to get that elusive title. You know, you never know. I'm not saying this year per se, but you put Link Jarrett in a recruiting ground like FSU with his coaching acumen as it is, it's a recipe for success. Yeah, it is absolutely. How about your second winner? Uh, I'm going with Illinois because they proved all of us wrong when they have a massive series win over Southern Miss, we were singing the praises of Southern Miss and the Golden Eagles and their pitching staff for giving up only one extra base hit the weekend prior, which is absurd as it is. But Illinois came in there. They went down to Southern Miss, and they got a big-time series win. They looked great overall. Um, yeah, Illinois, the way to make a statement. Like, they have some, like I'm very excited about their one of the young arms, Julius Sanchez. I really like him and what he's got going on. The team in general is rock solid, and, for a conference like the Big Ten that needs wins badly, this was a big-time win for them. Yeah, they do need wins badly when you look at that conference, and Illinois certainly is going to be a team to be reckoned with. I mean, it was hard to really judge Illinois after uh, they got blown out twice by Wake Forest in their opening yeah. weekend with just how Wake Forest, arguably the best-hitting yeah. team in the country. But when they turn around and do what they did this past weekend, um, you, you've got to tip your cap to them. And I love that they're a winner because that's just a big-time series win over Southern Miss because we all had Southern Miss, but it doesn't matter what we had yeah. um it, it all happened on the field and that's a great 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 series win and i think another great series win my second winner is portland portland put together arguably the most impressive weekend of the pilots getting the job done um and they just they really put it uh to texas a&m they take a series against the number five ranked team in the country. Well, yeah. that's going to turn some heads and they only dropped the finale by one run five to four. Uh, they lost, but Spencer Scott was just on another level um, in, in this game for dub the WCC co-player of the week for Portland. And 
He was really, really impressive against the fifth-ranked team in the country. He hit 500 over three games, had a double, three RBIs, three walks, uh, a 6.15 on base over the weekend. And um, overall, that really helped Portland earn their first-ever wins over an SEC team and first-ever series win over a team ranked in the top five nationally. So you have to start talking about this Portland team. I know that they've been a team that's kind of been on the radar the yeah. last couple years, and they certainly, I mean, with what happened with uh, Niche Klemp, I mean, just going off, he's hitting 581 to start this season. Briley Knight is a guy to watch out for, guy that has experience playing in not only the West Coast League, getting player of the year honors in that league, a, a league that Brooks Lee was in, then went and played with Brooks Lee in the Cape League. Like, those are two really, really good players. And then Spencer Scott had an incredible weekend as well. So, Tip of the cap to Portland. I know that they certainly impressed. They're off to a five and two start, and they took game one and two, 10 three, then four to one, then lost the third by a by a run. So they easily yeah. could have had a sweep in College Station, which is big. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they look, did look great, and uh, this I think this series kind of shows why college baseball is so fun. Because, and this is no disrespect to Portland, they're a very good um, program in their own right. But you don't see these kind of upsets of like a, a five overall team. You don't see this kind of upsets in college basketball or college football. You know, it, it's very rare you see a school from that those kind of conferences coming into the SEC and kicking somebody in the mouth. And that's what makes baseball so fun. Is you really uh, like uh, not to give away too much in the interview, but Coach Hernandez says you got to play the full nine every single time, and that's it's a perfect example of why there's no clock to save you. Absolutely, and that that's that's huge, and um. Uh, Portland's a fun team. I mean, they really yeah. are. You think that in the WCC, um, they have a great chance to be one of the more competitive teams in that. Yeah. That's a fun league because Gonzaga ha has really been a dominant force in that league. I know you're a big fan of San Diego. Yes, and you Terraris, can't forget baby. about BYU, a team yep. that has a ton of experience on the mound. I mean, a guy like Reed McLaughlin, who, who might finish with over 100 appearances on the mound. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> for his career. So, um, that's a really, really solid conference, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how everything shapes up there. But Portland definitely um, turning some heads, not just in that league, but across the country, uh, taking a series at College Station. So how about you uh, for your next winner, your third and final winner of uh, the second weekend of college? We're going to go back to the East Coast, and we're going to talk about a team that we, were, we like a lot. They've exceeded expectations in terms of all facets of the ball. And that's South Carolina. Gamecocks are now 8-0. They have have scored 94 runs on the year in eight games, which is preposterous in its own right. We knew the pitching was going to go with guys like Will Sanders going on the bump free every Friday. But the bats have been incredible this whole year as well. They've been ripping balls left, right, center, all over the place. Like They look great, and they look like a serious contender out there in the SEC this year. They do. They're hitting. Oh, they're hitting at a high level and probably more impressive than – people thought because South Carolina and I know that they're a top 25 team I mean they're yeah. nothing to scoff at but the way that they've swung the bat to begin the year um, the Gamecocks are really tearing the cover off the baseball and I think that that only I mean when you're tearing the cover off the baseball and have a guy on the mound who you could argue is not really going to ever be outdueled much this year because of how good he is. Yeah. Um, as an arm that that's really, really, really 
good to see. Yeah. Uh, Will Sanders is, is a guy that I think day in and day out is just going to give you a good outing. I mean, yeah. he, he's one of the top prospects for a reason, uh, but this team is really hitting what they've hit 26 home runs, Charlie. Yeah already this season i mean that's preposterous hitting 322 yeah. as a team in 26 home runs at this point of the season and they're eight and oh off to an incredible start yeah and the crazy part is will sanders hasn't hasn't not even been the best starting pitcher so far this year noah hall yeah point six eight era 16 k's over 13 and a third and to go off the bats too because like we we knew they had some bats like braylon wimmer is hitting over 500 he's been great this year they have six guys hitting over um 300 so far this year they also have one, two, three, four, five guys hit um slugging over eight hundred as well on the team. Like this team is a force to be reckoned with. Like Brandon Wimmer is a very fun guy to watch, but like the fact that Will Sanders, a pro like a very high pick this year, most likely unless he gets hurt, is not even like your true ace by the numbers so far yet. That is just huge for you. It really is. It's it's massive, and I I love that winner by you. For me, my last winner goes down to a team just like you had in UCF in your small school draft. I have UC Santa Barbara, and UC Santa Barbara did some things on the baseball field uh, this weekend, but that shouldn't be a surprise. They're a good baseball team, and they belong in, in some big conversations. When you talk about regionals and super regionals, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a team that you see in, in that scenario. Okay, they're 5-2 and two to start the year. They got two wins against Big Ten Minnesota in their opening weekend, yeah. and then – they go and sweep Oregon, but not only sweep Oregon, they only allow three runs yeah. against Oregon in a really over the whole entire weekend. So you're allowing one run on average per game and you're going up against Oregon. These are nine inning affairs, guys like UC Santa Barbara can pitch. And uh, I think everybody should be scared of what this team can do. Five and two start, uh, but a huge series sweep against Oregon at Oregon to make matters even worse. So that is where I'm going to give it to the Gauchos, Charlie. Yeah, no, that's a great pick. Like we were all high on the Gauchos last year, and this year again, they're a great team. Like they are the favorites to win their conf in the WAC this year. Um, Team ERA of a three five is obviously going to win you a lot of games. It's preposterous that they went into Eugene and and only allowed three runs, like you mentioned, against a very good Oregon squad. You know they've got a lot of really good guys like Diadotti, Tanner Smith, um, even Jacob um, Easton. I think it's not Jacob Easton, but I forgot Jacob Hall. I believe is his name. I'd be messing that up. But the team in general is fantastic. It's one of the best pro small school programs around historically. Like year in and year out, you can count the Gauchos to be in it every year. Like they're almost a stalwart at this point in the playoffs. They really are. I mean, so that's that's a big time point. There were some other upsets that did not crack my winners, Charlie. From? Um, there's so many over the opening weekend. Some like true, true upsets. Like, um, I know Arkansas won the series, but the fact that Eastern Illinois got a win yeah. on Sunday, like that's you could <laughs> you could say they're a winner because. Yeah. You would you would have thought Arkansas would have just tore the cover off the baseball, um, but they really I mean they score thirteen and then ten the first two games come uh, overall and then the third game Arkansas is held to three runs so that a lot has to be said about EIU and the Panthers pitching staff so far uh, to be able to get one against a top ten team.
team in the country, an SEC team for that matter. When you come out of the OVC, you're typically not seeing that type of talent. So I just wanted uh, to mention that just because I thought that, hey, that's kind of important, um, the fact that that happened. Obviously, um, that's a winner in, in yeah. some respect, honorable mention winner. I mean, the only other thing that I was flirting with, Charlie, was uh, – the chases, you know, of, of Tennessee, because yeah. Tennessee really, I mean, at the end of the day, they, they did the same thing. UC Santa Barbara did yeah. against Dayton. They only allowed three runs the whole weekend. Um, So those are our winners. And now we're going to uh, go on to our losers. Um, And I'll start out with our losers this time. We'll go back and forth and that's Northwestern. Um, they're off to an 0-6 start. They didn't have high expectations, but the reason I say there's a loser is they didn't only lose one of the best pitchers in the country, Sean Sullivan, to another program. Um, they also lost a couple of coaches on their staff, as yep. you saw that report yesterday from Kendall Rogers, and they've lost all the games they've played this year. So, unfortunately, a loser, but certainly hope that in Evanston they can figure it out um, in the Big Ten. Um, certainly a program that has been on the downturn yeah. Um, as of late, and hopefully they can figure it out. But that's my first loser. No, that's a good one. It's always like zero and six is always tough. But it's even harder when you lose a lot of coaching staff because that you have to rebuild from the ground up from there. Especially the early in a season like this is just making things tougher for everybody. But hopefully they can pull it together. Uh, my biggest loser, they're not zero and six, but they're one and seven after week two, and that's Gonzaga. They have been outscored eighty six to fifty one so far this year. Staff is giving up an average of 10.75 runs a game. You're not going to win a lot of games giving up that many runs unless you have a literal lineup of all um, MLB talent going to one through nine. And even then, you might not average over 10 runs a game to get that many Ws. And the thing about this that makes it even worse, well, yes, they did lose Texas Tech in that first series. That's a good opponent, obviously. But things that it might it, – um, it's going to be a little bit of a darker um, hallway as it's going on for Gonzaga. Next week, they have to face Tennessee in their series, which I think – 99% of the country will agree that we'd all pick Tennessee to win that series, if not possibly sweep it as well. Yes. I mean, that's the expectation, especially with Maui coming back now too. Maui coming back in that lineup is just going to be electric. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you look where Christian Moore, Jared Dickey, like that's, and then the chases are just in that beam like that yeah. rotation's unbelievable. So it's going it to be is. tough sledding for Gonzaga. For me, it's MLB teams is my second loser. <laughs> because they have to wait another year before it looks like an MLB ready player. I mean, Jack yeah. Caglione um, is, I, he was so good that I'm making it a loser. So I'm everybody either a sleeping on Jack Caglione or B um, all the MLB teams that have to wait another year before he's eligible in 2024 for the draft, because he had a ball that was off his bat that achieved an exit velocity of 118. On Sunday, Jeez. all of his home runs were way over 100 miles per hour off the bat. Not to mention that he hit three home runs in a game, which is impressive. Yeah. He was also the starting pitcher in that game on Sunday. So um, last week overall, here's what he did. I'm counting his midweek games Go as ahead, well. Man. But 10 hits, 
10 RBIs, six home runs in five games last week, um, including the two midweeks. And um, he scored eight runs and he only struck out two times in, in those five games. So he he's putting the ball in play every day of the week. And he is a really good player. Hits bombs, yeah. has some of the best exit below. Not to mention he could throw with great velocity as well on the mound. Jack Caglione, um, what a man that guy is. And Florida off to a great start. Um, you know that they have another electrified player and Wyatt Langford and the list goes yeah. on with that rotation. I mean, Hurston Waldrip and Spro, I know we love that rotation. So yeah. that is a Florida team that I thought we had to talk about. And a loser is anybody that has to face Caglione. The MLB teams have to miss out. And if you're sleeping on him, you got to stop because the, yeah. you'll be waking up rudely um, yeah. how good he is. Alarm clocks blaring as we, as I speak. I Isn't it crazy that with all the fanfare and preseason hype that Florida had, they might be better than everyone thought they were. Yeah, I, I agree man. because I didn't think, I don't think people thought Caglione was going to step yeah. in and play like this. And no, then I didn't. Also, I wasn't one of them. That's for sure. What about what L other, the supporting cast for Florida has been so impressive this season. Yeah. Um, when, when you look overall, okay, their rotation, you knew it would be good, but okay. How's Hurston going to throw? How's Sproke going to throw yeah. guys coming back from injury guys transferring from other schools. Yeah. Uh, but this group ha has gelled so well Josh Rivera, I think, is a huge X factor. If he yeah. can hit for you, you know what he can do with the glove. Caglione and, and also Wyatt Langford. Ty Evans has been a machine for him. Yeah. I mean, overall, I mean, you just there's a lot to say. Kay Kerland, I mean, he's hitting 540 on the season. So overall, I mean, you just have to love and you can't forget they arguably have the best catcher in the SEC, too. So, Me I too. mean, I, overall, I love it. Yeah. It's crazy to think that Caglione has taken a lot of the spotlight from Wyatt Langford. And that's not, and it's not like Langford's playing bad. Like Langford's going to be a top pick this year. He's been a dog. But the fact that one of his teammates is making more noise so far is crazy. Yeah. I mean, all of their starters have that K9. Not because they're dogs, but that K, per, they are dogs. But also, <laughs> it's that K per nine. Yeah. I mean, 15 strikeouts. For Caglione, 19 strikeouts for Hurston, 16 strikeouts for Spro, and that's all for all yeah. of them through two starts. And overall, as as a starting rotation, they're five and zero as a rotation. Um, yeah. so that that's that's some dog dogness that for is. them. I mean, overall, that staff, even out of the pen, I mean, they have 90 strikeouts as a yeah. staff already. So. And they rake. Yeah, and they rake, and and that's just in sixty-seven innings. So, um, that that's really good stuff, and that's uh, I guess, quote unquote, my second loser. Yeah, my second loser. We're staying in the SEC. I'm going with Texas A&M. They got upset by your winner, Portland, as we all talked about them. Obviously, um, in the past series, the Aggies are, um, no, excuse me, in the last five, excuse me, they're one and four. They're four and three on the or no, there's they're one and four in the last five. With losses to Lamar in Portland. Um, the, the real issue with them is the pitching staff itself hasn't been too bad. Like Nathan Detmer has been absolutely lights out so far. He's been he's not the problem. And I'm not blaming all the blame on these guys because these guys are certainly not the only ones that are not hitting well, but I'm gonna highlight them because they're some of the bigger names. Austin Boast is only hitting 0.08 on the year so far as his batting average. And Jack Moss is in 269, which is okay, but no home runs. You need those home runs for Jack Moss. So when you have two really big names like that not contributing to the offense. It's really hard to ask the guys who are less talented, in my opinion, and aren't as good as these two guys to pick up the slack. 
I think it's a really good point. I really do. And I think that when you look at a team that's going to the College World Series a season ago and, and has so much power as a drop of series to Portland, certainly on the other coin, on the other side of the coin, after you have Portland as impressive, like you have to look at that. Um, dropping a series at home in College Station for a team that had so much firepower and you felt like they brought a lot of those key bats back. I know they lost bats because they really hit the portal hard with last year. Yeah. With just a lot of guys that came for their last year, but they hit it again. And obviously hitting on all those guys into clicking the gel, you might. But also I think with AM, they started slow a season ago too. So um, that's yeah. also something to keep in mind um, overall. But for me, uh, my third loser is going to be Southern Miss. So we kind of overlapped a little bit when you, well, you had Illinois as a winner. I had Southern Miss as a loser because after their opening weekend, when they just were, they were unbelievable. Their first four games, they only allowed three total runs. I mean, their pitching yeah. staff against Liberty and then even in New Orleans in their midweek when they got a shutout was just great. But then they allow 13 runs against Illinois. Then they allow another 13 runs against Illinois in game two. And then they allow nine runs in game three. So, I mean, just blowing up their ERAs in the second week at Tanner Hall wasn't Tanner Hall in the on the Friday night game. Illinois was able to tag him for five runs through five. And the pitching staff, I feel like, has to be a strength of this team because that's really where you know that this team is going to make uh, their money, get their wins, and honestly still going to be a really good team. They're going to sweep a lot of people. Um, but I think that overall, when you look at how the pitching has done uh, this past week, you, you have to have that as something where you give credit to Illinois in one win one breath, but also you have Southern Miss and you know a ranked team going up against a team from the Big Ten, um, and you have them in a loser in that regard because it would have yeah. been big for them to pick up a series win and keep that momentum going with that pitching staff chugging along. Yeah, for sure. That insult injury, I know that Slade Wilkes will be out for a little bit too. I don't remember how long it's going to be, but that's another big bat that they're going to lose. Also, correct. I misspoke. Uh, AM is one in three in their last four. That's what I meant to say. Not one in four in their last five, because that's incorrect. Got it. Appreciate you that you cleared that Got up, it. Charlie. Good journalism. You know, got to correct your mistakes. Got to. You have to. And we'll make a lot of them, but we'll try to correct them um, oh, yeah. as, we, as we go along. So those are our winners and our Ooh, I losers. Still, I still have one but more you one. have one more. Yeah. So let's hit it. Let's go. It's Mayor. It's this is also of the three of the three losers, the least uh bad or softest one you would could say. But that's Maryland Terrapins. They went, they are now, what is it? They are, oh, excuse me, they're three and four now in the year with they have a series window against USF, which is not bad, but they got walloped by Ole Miss this weekend in the last two games. Uh good news for them in this part is Jason Savicle, as we said, keeps you in any ball game there is. That's proven by their Friday win against Ole Miss, but they also had a midweek loss to West Virginia, who I think is not a bad team. This is no disrespect to West Virginia. I just think Maryland's a superior team. And as you're as a coach, if you are the coach of Maryland, you expect you guys you expect to win that kind of game. And um kind of in the same way with Gonzaga, it's gonna get a little tougher going next in the next weekend as they play in the Cambria College Classic, because two of the teams at the face in those are two very good teams. Oddly enough, Ole Miss is one of them. And then Vanderbilt's one of the others. And then the third is Hawaii. I do think they could win any three of those games, but uh, got to get things going. It's hard to regroup when you have to face the team that just beat the crap out of you. And then another team who's literally shutting everyone down in Vanderbilt. 
Yes, I think though that the good thing is Maryland did win the Friday game, and yes. then so they're going to have their Friday guy Savakul go up against Ole Miss, and he yeah. dominated against them last Friday. I expect him to do the same this Friday, but obviously you kind of have the advantage. You don't think you're going to shut down Ole Miss back-to-back weeks, but no. who knows? When it's Savakul, I think you throw all the rules yeah. out the window, and so he'll have – and then if they – then you think they can beat Hawaii – on yeah. Sunday and hopefully take two or three Vanderbilt obviously is going to be very tough, but again, Maryland is a really good team. Like at the end of the day, they're a team that um, everybody fully expects to be um, making a run for the college yeah. world series. So um, that'll be an interesting weekend overall for Maryland. Hopefully they can bounce back, but it's hard to say, even say, like you said, bounce back when you go up against Number four, Ole Miss, and just go one and two. So yeah. on the road too. No, and the run rule, ones. run rule on a Sunday is a tough look too. Yeah, you know it is, it is for sure, especially uh, when when you want to be in that conversation. So um, now we move on to starting rotation, and uh, you're going to have the first pick. Here we go, Friday night. We talked about his former team in Northwestern, but we're going to go back to Wake Forest because you're. I think will I think we can both agree a big theme this year in our starting rotations is a lot of Wake Forest guys. And mm-hmm. I'm going to continue that trend with Sean Sullivan of Wake Forest. Six innings of no-hit ball, 11 Ks, uh, no walks even. It wasn't even the fact that he walked anybody because it would have been a perfect ball game except for the fact that he hit one batter. So Sh- Sullivan looks great once again. I think probably the best transfer so far this year. Yes, and he's just been one of the best arms in the country. Yeah. I mean, overall, when you're he shoved the opening weekend, so they said, okay, let's see what he can do to start the game. And he goes six shutout, six near perfect innings with 11 Ks again. Like his strikeout per nine is off the charts. Back to back weeks, just striking out the world. Uh, so good. I mean, Wake has arms. Him, Rhett Louder, Teddy McGraw, oh. Hardle. I mean, that is yeah. scary. Um, really, and, and almost like you you wonder who he, who's going to be at that three man rotation at that point <laughs> with the way Sullivan's throwing. Yeah. Well, the fact is, like. They might just throw him in the bullpen sometimes when it comes to really big games. You know, they might save him from the midweek, depending on who they're playing. But, like, one of those guys has to be that would be the midweek starter, which is bananas. Well, yes. You get, like, a freshman or a sophomore who's, like, trying to prove themselves a little more on the midweek. But imagine being any team going, okay, here's our breather. It's Sean Sullivan on a Tuesday. Well, think that's the same thing with Thatcher Hurd and LSU. It's, I mean, it's similar in that good of a rotation, but also it helps when you get into some regionals. And super regionals, if you have to come out of the loser's bracket and you need a fourth Absolutely. and sometimes fifth guy, uh, these guys are capable starters and they've shown that. For me, um, this is a reliever that I think has had the impre- most impressive season this year um, yeah. for anybody. I mean, uh, Ryan Brown out of Ball State um, this weekend, um, when you talk about what he did on to f- close out the series for Ball State, he struck out 12 guys, Charlie. And he faced 13 guys. So he was absolutely shoving last year. I think he got some attention um, out of the Mac of just because he was a freshman, all American. Now yeah. he's looking like just a legit all American. And uh, he's been really, really, really impressive overall. He's a, he's a junior arm. He's a right hander has good stuff. 92, 93 can get up to 95. Uh, but I think what's impressive, Charlie, is that he threw against Rutgers. He came out and threw two, he threw two innings against Rutgers on Saturday 
and was really, really good. He threw two innings, got five strikeouts, and uh, shut out ball right there, didn't allow a hit. And then he throws the next day against Canisius on Sunday and goes four and a third, 12 strikeouts, no walks, no hits. So really, this week, he threw six and a third. He got 17 strikeouts. He didn't allow a hit. He only walked one, didn't allow a run, and got the win in both games. So back-to-back days, he got the win. And so overall in the season, he has 11 innings thrown, one hit allowed, yeah, no runs allowed, and 27 strikeouts in 11 innings. That's which, insane. Which leads the nation in strikeout per nine, and not to mention that he has come out of the bullpen in every game and gotten the win. He's 3-0. and um, coming out in three appearances, he's three and zero, no runs, twenty seven Ks, eleven innings. I mean, he's been impressive, especially this week because his command was there. It was interesting because in Ball State's first weekend, he came out of the bullpen and threw four and two thirds out of the bullpen, and he threw a hundred and three pitches out of the pen, but he didn't allow a run and he only yeah. allowed one hit. He had ten strikeouts. In four and two thirds and nine walks, Good Lord. nine nine damn walks, but he got the win and Ball State won at Charlotte two to one in that game, and then he gets two wins over the weekend and gets seventeen strikeouts to one walk, no runs. So that's my winner, Ryan Brown. I mean, I, when we pick our relievers at the end of the year for our All American type teams yeah. and draft a team, I mean, right now he'd be my reliever. Yeah, it's fair. Especially being cut cut down on those walks, that's insane. Well, he did the second weekend, man. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, but now to walk nine and that's not get pulled and yeah. not get pulled, um, and not allow a run. I mean, that's yeah, but that and then he turned it around the second week and back to back outings. I mean, that's I I, I love that dogness because you couldn't do that in high school. He like literally because because of the pitch count rule. He threw thirty five pitches Saturday, and then came back and threw fifty four pitches the next day. So yeah, that's all I had to say about that. That's my first uh, Friday night guy in my weekend rotation from week two. Yeah, uh, my next one is it's not as impressive, but he still had a good weekend. It's Anthony McKenzie, the first baseman from Oklahoma. Uh, not nothing really jumps off the board in the sense of like home runs or RBIs with only one homer and three RBIs. But he did go nine for thirteen. And the part I love, I love when there's any position. That's kind of like not known for speed. So perfect example is obviously first base, you know, a third base would be another example or a catcher or a pitcher. But when you have your first baseman still six bases, that catches my eye. I think that's deserving of a spot on the rotation. A little, little Paul Goldschmidt S to his game that way, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's impressive. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt type, you do everything. That's what yeah. you, I mean, that's MVP. You're an MVP if you do that. And that's certainly what happened for McKenzie of OU. I mean, six stolen bases is just for anybody. It doesn't yeah. matter. I mean, Bradfield didn't uh, even have six stolen yeah. bases this weekend. <laughs> I mean, that's just, I mean, you're getting to a game. You're, Ooh, you're honorable mention, though, real quick to Enrique Bradfield for uh, breaking the Vanderbilt all time career steals record over the weekend. Yeah. And he's the active leader right now yeah. in Division One baseball for steals in a career right now active player so um certainly if you're on Vanderbilt's chart you know that you're uh certainly going to be on the chart of probably all the NCAA and that's what he is right now for active players impressive for me another thing that's impressive and it's another Wake Forest guy I know that people are going to get mad about all this Wake talk but (laughs) deserving I'm going to be a team that's going to be I'm going to be somebody that's going to talk about him all year long not only when we talk about active career leaders 
Brock Wilkin leads all NCAA players with 46 career home runs, and he's just a junior. Also, inactive career home runs uh, for players playing now. Adam Cesare, he went 11 for 19 over the last week. Let me take it, count the midweeks. Four doubles, a homer, 12 RBIs. I mean, anyone on this roster we could put, really, when you talk about the hitters of Wake Forest, now, they're off to an incredible start. I believe that they have the talent, but we haven't necessarily seen them play stiff competition yeah. just yet. Um, although you made a good point that that Illinois win when they smashed Illinois twice looks a little bit better now that they beat now. Southern Miss. Uh, but him and Wilkin lead the team with six home runs. They've both been some of the best hitters in the nation so far. Uh, but Big Adam out of Wake Forest, that is going to be um, my Saturday guy in my rotation, Charlie. Yeah, one of the best hitters in the country, too, just in general this year. Absolutely. We're going to kick it to the West Coast, William. We're going to go with Jack Costello out of San Diego, uh, player of the week for his conference as well. 7 of 13, 10 RBIs, 3 homers, and that's not including the midweek where he had 2 more homers to add on. So he had 5 homers on the week, essentially, and just absolutely raked. Um, the Toreros are cooking as a team. Jack Costello is as the head chef of this team right now, cooking all the way. He is head chef. I like that. For me, Charlie, my Sunday is going to be Vanderbilt's pitching staff, specifically uh, their starting rotation. Now, a week ago, they lost a game to Central Arkansas, 5-4. Yeah. to four. Then they end up winning uh, against UAB on Wednesday in another midweek. And then on Friday, they shut out UCLA. They win six to nothing. They lose the Saturday game three nothing. And then they win two to one in the rubber match on Sunday. So in the two wins, they combined to allow just one run. And overall, just on the weekend, when they only allow four runs against UCLA, you really have to put it to them. At, over at Hawkins Field, they're able to take a series against the 17th-ranked team of the country in UCLA. That was a statement, really. I mean, Carter Holton and Bryce Cunningham combined for a shutout on Friday. So that that's just impressive, and you 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 have to love what Vanderbilt has weapon wise yeah. out of the bullpen. I mean, guys piggybacking each other. Um, you see that with good teams. It's just like okay, he's going to back him up. Carter Holton throws. Okay, then it's Bryce Cunningham. But the same thing happened. Uh, Devin Futrell threw five scoreless, and then Nick Maldonado recorded a three inning save while striking out eight of the 11 batters he faced. Yeah. So that like, again, is a piggyback type thing. And, and really uh, overall, just so impressive. Davis Diaz was, was a big time bat yeah. uh, for Vanderbilt, but Vanderbilt starting pitchers in the series through 15 and a third and the uh, versus UCLA. And they struck out 18. Their starters didn't allow a run and they limited the Bruins to just five hits over the weekend. Um, not to mention, and that Enrique got the 97th stolen base. I mean, when your starters go 15 and a third and don't allow a run and get 18 Ks and just five hits allowed, you're good. You're really yeah. good. And Carter Holden is going to set the tone for them every Friday night uh, for the rest of the year. So uh, Vanderbilt's pitching staff taking a series against ranked UCLA coming to town after UCLA had a lot to say. And we called it. We said there's not going to be much runs scored in this series, and there wasn't. You saw two shutouts the first two games by either team. And then the third game, there's a combined three runs. So 
So um, the pitching staff for both teams is really good. But Vanderbilt, they're getting a victory for me because really when you look at their resume at this point, they've put together – some impressive wins. You know, Tim Corbin's going to play a tough schedule. Yeah. They've already gotten a win against number nine, Oklahoma State, and then a series win against uh, number 17, UCLA. So there you go, Vanderbilt. Um, the Commodores, they're used to being a winner in the college baseball realm, and they're going to be a Sunday starter for me, their weekend rotation, their starting rotation for me. So that is my uh, Sunday guy. It's the Vanderbilt staff. Yeah, as it should be. Like, I mean, when your starting pitching does that, those kind of things, like you said, striking out 18 and what 15 and a third, that's a formula for winning baseball. Cause it's a lot easier to win a game scoring three runs, and that's all you need versus 10 runs. Much easier to do that. Absolutely. So now we want to recap our picks, Charlie. Or no, you got, yeah, yes, recap our picks. Uh, from last week. So every week, um, as you guys, uh, fans of the midweek podcast, you start to come accustomed uh, to what we're doing here, uh, trying to provide to you guys stuff that stuck out to us. Cause obviously with the 300 division one baseball teams, there's a lot of content to cover. Um, so we kind of, that's how we break it down. At the end of the day, you're going to get six winners. You're going to get six losers combined for me and Charlie, and then six individuals who performed at a high level um, with our weekend rotation. And while there's always um, high-level performers, there's also high-level teams to watch, and every weekend we pick five series. Um, and not only I think that you would agree with this, we pick series that we think – are series worth picking in terms of yeah. like Watching. they're going to be competitive, but also they're worth picking because they're ones you probably want to watch. And the series we picked where we can run through um, what we did. The first one was number 12 UNC at number 11, East Carolina. This was interesting. East Carolina, they ultimately won the series. ECU's yeah. up to number nine in the nation. They're um, five and one to start, but it was just a two Oh sweep because the game on Saturday was postponed. Um, so that's going to be interesting. And now um, ECU stays home and they host Indiana Long Beach and Georgetown this weekend. But really big for ECU. You, you shout out to Fungo Talk for taking ECU. Yeah. Um, they got the two victories over the weekend. Yeah, and the thing about that series, too, was um, in those two games, UNC starting pitching was actually very good. Like Max Carlson on Friday, seven innings pitched, two hits, no runs, one walk, nine Ks. Um, what let them down in both games is the bullpen, which is unfortunate. So if you put up five runs, that's not a bad offense performance because both games, um, UNC did lose six to five. Like so, I said Carlson did that, and then the next, um, the next game, Connor Bovier, five and two thirds, three hits, only two runs, two walks, six Ks, but the um, bullpen let up was four four extra runs. So you can That's the issue is when your starting pitching gives you a gives you such a great competitive performance. Not only does in the offense is putting some runs up, the bullpen needs to come together and keep you guys in those games. And when they fail to do that, it's hard to ask those guys to come out, especially against a team like ECU. It's hard to ask the offense to kick it into another gear when they're already battling their ass off the whole time. Yeah, that's going to be the question for the Tar Heels this year, I yeah. think, is uh, being ultra competitive in the ACC with a star player in Vance Honeycutt is how are they overall going to have the bullpen? Because the starters and the offense, you feel like, is going to score enough runs when stuff gets tight and regionals and super regionals, how does a pen perform? And uh, this was a super regional type atmosphere, the East Carolina hosting North Carolina um, and ultimately East Carolina got two wins and Saturday again, postponed. Um, so that happened. And then also Maryland Ole Miss, we both picked Ole Miss 
And uh, we both were correct in that Thanks. assumption of picking Ole Miss. Ole Miss, though, uh, they made us sweat it out because they dropped the first game uh, but won the final two games of the series uh, to take yeah. the series ultimately. The weird thing, though, as we mentioned earlier, I think this is one of the more interesting things. They're going to play again. So back-to-back yeah. Fridays, you have Ole Miss and Maryland, which was a top-15 matchup uh, when the two met last week. And, of course, uh, two ranked teams going at it like – it's going to be interesting at U.S. Bank Stadium, the home of the Minnesota Vikings. It's always kind of a cool thing to see them play inside there. Uh, but Friday night, I think that Savakul is going to uh, do some dirty things on the mound again. I think he 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 arguably could have been a weekend guy, a Big Ten Pitcher of the Week uh, last week when he had seven shutout innings and nine strikeouts yeah. at number four Ole Miss. But Ole Miss got the series two to one, and we are correct in picking Ole Miss there. Yeah, um, should be fun again. This, this it's a fun. Um tournament they're going to have up there weird that they're playing in a football stadium and weird that's in minnesota but i mean i'm not going to complain baseball at the end of the day you gotta everybody's no, it's got cool diamond, though. You gotta win it's a cool setup and it's it's a really short porch uh, to some yeah. of the corners um when you look at that field dimension so that'll it be is. interesting um to see especially because you got Vanderbilt playing up there too. So that'll be fun. Southern Miss, Illinois, we are both wrong. Illinois took two yeah. or three. They scored a ton of runs. Um UCLA Vandy, we are both correct. No, um, I was not. No, you were not because you changed late uh, yeah. because of our boy Taylor uh, from Fungo Talk convinced you. And uh, it was Vanderbilt's pitching, as we already detailed in yeah. this podcast, that just got the job done. And then Charlotte and Army, Army proved everybody wrong. We all picked Charlotte and Army yeah. uh, turns around and gets two of three in that series. So really impressive series win for Army because I know we we talk uh, so highly of this Charlotte program. We still always will. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but Army, I mean, you, you got to be impressed uh, what they're doing over there. I know that ultimately you want to see what they can do with a first-year head coach in the Patriot League, and ultimately they take a couple wins against a against a good Charlotte team. So they uh, ultimately get that series. It was interesting, though, because Charlotte, I mean, they outscored them by seven in the series, but still lost the series. So that that's how we go overall. Um, I, we both have losing records on our picks, but the great thing about it is there's this week, and so we can uh, repick right, and brother. we can hope. So, uh, <laughs> and Will, before you get going, I have to admit something. I did change one of our series for this upcoming one. I changed the Arizona State one out for it. a better series, in my opinion. I think you'll agree with UCF versus Georgia Southern. I do. I agree with that at 100%. And um, as we do our picks, appreciate that, Charlie. These are the top five series we we want to pick, the series we want to watch. And uh, here we go. First series, number 23, South Carolina takes on Clemson. I think a lot of eyeballs should be on this series, Charlie, yep. because South Carolina has an unblemished record. And uh, overall, you just saw that Clemson they're they're looking to bounce back because of the fact that they just got swept by UCF. So yeah. in this series overall, I'm going to rock with the Gamecocks. I think their starting pitching's been great. You you expect Sanders to just be even better than he has yeah. been because that's the type of pitcher he is. And overall, I wouldn't be surprised if we're at this point next week talking about South Carolina still being undefeated. I think yeah. that they're going to get the three-game sweep um, as they Ooh. are able to play against Clemson. Now, the same reason about Georgia and Georgia Tech, uh, Clemson and South Carolina have the same series setup. The first game is going to be at Clemson. The second game is going to be in Greenville. And then the third game is going to be in Columbia at South Carolina. So they play three games, three straight days at three different locations, obviously all close proximity yeah. being all in South Carolina. Uh, Still but, extra, though. 
<laughs> well, that's the same thing with Georgia, Georgia yeah. Tech, with Athens, Atlanta, and then also Lawrenceville. But uh, o- overall, with all that being said, I'm going to take the 23rd-ranked team in the country in South Carolina to win the series, as I mentioned. Yeah, I do. Th- I'm going to go South Carolina as well. Um, talked a lot about the pitching's obviously there. If they're, I don't think the bats are going to slow down anytime soon. I think this will be a better test for the bats than some of the other teams they've played. But I think Braylon Wimmer and Co. is going to keep on raking with this team. And like once again, like Noah Hall and uh, Will Sanders are going to keep you in every game. So you really don't, you know, the offense isn't at their peak. You need like five runs to win comfortably. You do. No, that that's absolutely a fact. So we both are rocking with uh, South Carolina. Yes, sir. Now we move to our next series, and it's going to be Miami and Florida. Um, this one for me, when, when you give an explanation on it, I just think Florida's a better team. Yeah. Um, that's nothing against Miami. I think Florida's better than most teams in the country. Yeah. Um, obviously, their ranking is indicative of that. They're currently the sixth-ranked team in the NCAA, according to Division One baseball. Um, but overall, I just don't know – that many teams that are going to be able to compete with Florida um, with Sprout, Waldrep, and then Caglione, yeah, yeah. that that's a nasty rotation. And then also um, I, I, I also think this could be a scenario where, okay, Miami is a really good team. I mean, at the end of the day, um, they're top 25 team. They're ranked 22nd um, in the rankings last week. I'm not sure um, where they're at here this week. And Miami's going to be tough, but I think in Gainesville, Florida's going to get the series. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Miami's a good opponent in their own right for sure. I just do think it's kind of Florida's an absolute wagon right now, and so I'm not going to bet against them. Um, we'll be excited to see Yo-Yo Morales, serious bat speed and serious pop off the bat, going against a Caglione on Sunday because if he catches on a ball, that thing might never land. That's correct. No, that really is. And overall, I mean, you can't sleep on Miami. They're ranked 22nd, and yeah. then it's Florida who is ranked 6th. So a top 25 matchup in that regard. And overall, we're both going with Florida, although Miami no slouch. And Miami oh, yeah. coming off a, a big uh, series sweep um, over this past weekend, uh, a team that I think is fun to watch. Two 7-1 teams. The thing with Miami is they've won uh, seven consecutive games. But I think uh-huh. – uh, they're going up against Dartmouth last week. Now uh, they're going to have a little bit of a different level well, of competition. Yeah, a little, little different talent uh, level. Playing in Gainesville, but still both seven and one. Miami's won seven in a row. That should be a fun series. Also, Georgia, Georgia Tech. I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, yeah, I think it, one. I think this one comes down to Friday. Uh, really, when you look at Jaden Woods and how he can perform, because he threw the ball just after he struggled against Jacksonville. Um, yeah. To open up the year, he came out and shoved against Princeton in his second start of the season. I mean, he's a guy that's low mid nineties, um, can really climb the ladder with you. Throws a lot of high fastball. Somebody that I've I've seen him throw in, in parts of to both of his starts here um, this season, and I was really impressed with the way that he threw eleven strikeouts and four and a third shutout against Princeton for Georgia. You, you have to like what he can do and how he can set the tone. And obviously, there's going to be growing pains moving from the pen uh, to being a starter. But with all that being said, I'm going to take uh, the rambling wreck of uh, Georgia Tech and that regard because Georgia Tech uh, once again they're really good they're only going to be better when Drew Compton comes back and uh, I think I still think the Yellow Jackets are just a team to watch 
out of yeah. the ACC. Like you've got eight ACC teams ranked, and it's one of them isn't Georgia Tech, who is undefeated so far in the season. Uh, I know they're they're coming off a, a sweep against uh, Tennessee Tech. I know Tennessee Tech isn't the greatest of opponents, but when you start the year undefeated. Um, you're you're pretty solid and they've got Jake DeLeo, Angelo Despingia, who has one of the best career resumes in the NCAA right now. Stephen Reed's good. And of course, when they get Compton back, I, I would really think you got to watch out for this team overall. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go with Georgia, though. And the only reason I say this is because, well, yes, Georgia Tech is a better offensive team. And like they obviously can swing with anybody in the, out there. Uh, I don't trust the arms yet. Like Dawson Brown was incredible a week, last week, but um, I think George's arms could overtake this because I do think no matter who you are, no matter how good you are, I feel like the bats cool down at some point. And this is um, Tech's first real test outside of uh, their midweek against Georgia Southern, which was a win for them, albeit. But I'm going to take the Bulldogs in this one. Um, should be a really fun one, though. I do definitely see what you're saying where this could be decided on Friday. Well, I think it will be. Dawson Brown versus Jaden Woods is going to be – that will be in terms of stuff. That's one of the best yes. stuff matchups you have. Woods has stuff high mid nineties, yeah. and then Dawson Brown. He struggled mightily in his first outing, but here great. in his second outing, six innings and twelve Ks and allowed three earned, and they get the win against Tech. So Brown yeah. against Woods is a pitching matchup to watch. I think this series is decided on Friday. I don't think this series will be a sweep uh, either way. Yeah. I think whoever wins Friday though is going to set the tone for the weekend. So. That's what I have. And then also the fourth series. Uh, so we're agreeing so far, the first two, and then the third, we we split. I go Tech, right. you go Georgia. Fourth series that we're picking is Georgia Southern and UCF. I'm going to let you go first on this one because I know you added it in here. Um, And uh, fire away here, Charlie. Yeah, I added this one because, one, we both have them from our small school drafts. These are also just, even if we didn't have them, these are two really good opponents, two really good um, programs overall. Georgia Southern off their, coming off their first ever hosting gig in the tournament last year and UCS team on the rise right now, both are really hot right now. I, I just, I don't, I think it's just gonna be a lot of fun to watch. I think this is something that everyone should, there's a ton of really good talent on both sides of the ball here. And if you're someone that is looking for maybe a non, maybe you get bored of, you know, Florida versus uh, Miami or you get bored of South Carolina Clemson, you know what, turn on UCF Georgia Southern. I think it'll be a really fun one to watch. And with that being said though, I am going to go with UCF. I think this could be a very close series, but I do think the Golden Knights have what it takes. And I'm just very encouraged with the direction they're going. Yeah, and in Orlando, Florida, it's going to be tough yeah. with UCF hosting Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern, uh, so far this season, they're four and three. They won their opening weekend series against West Virginia, and then they won against ETSU last week, but they took two of three in both series. So they yeah. weren't able to get a sweep and then dropped a midweek eight to six against Tech. So they're four and three to start the year, but this is their first road test as well. So. Yeah. You, you look at them and you see, okay, what can they do overall? And Southern obviously has the pedigree. I think that they're one of the clear favorites. I mean, they were the first team I picked in the small school draft for, for, for many good reasons. And yes. I think um, one guy I'm looking to get going this weekend is Noah Ledford. He, he has started the year hitting 261 and has one home run, um, but he's a guy who – is one of the more experienced bats in all of college baseball. I mean, he was an All-American last year on the second team, but ever since 2019, he's gotten recognition. I mean, that's yeah. that's the crazy part, uh, Charlie. In 2019, as a freshman, he, he played 
um, in 56 games. He was uh, All-American. Um, and then 2021, he was on the Sun Belt All-Conference team. And then last year, he got every every single award you could think of and was an All-American. Um, so overall, uh, I'm looking for him. He's had a slow start, but I'm looking for him to have a big weekend, and that's why I'm picking Georgia Southern because Ledford is a guy that I think not a lot of people maybe talk about in college baseball, but at the end of the day, he, he was the catalyst for an offense that hosted a regional a season ago. He had 17 home runs. 19 doubles hit 348 and just had a breakout season because he wasn't really on the ra- I mean, he hit double digit home runs his freshman, sophomore year, but then he had a career high 17 and hit 350. So I think he's going to kind of get back to it after a slow start. And I think that Southern takes it, but it's going to be a slimness of margins. Wouldn't be surprised at all if UCF goes, but when you have Ledford and McCabe, either way, you're going to have great hitters on both sides. I'm going to take Southern. And part of that reason also is because I want Southern to win and beat Charlie Bornoff's UCF because <laughs> I have them in the small school draft. So um, I'm, I think that's one of the biggest series to watch really overall. Florida, Miami, this one's right there with it. And I think this one might honestly be even more competitive. So we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, our last one, Will, another one of my small school teams, but just another good matchup in general. We've got San Diego Toreros versus a very te- a team you like a lot, Will. That's the Oregon Ducks. I do I'm, like, yeah. I'm Go going ahead. San Diego. I'm going to throw some numbers at you for why. First off, um, San Diego won loss on the year. People are like, oh, wait, Charlie, we're a small school. Who do they play? Well, they swept Nebraska, essentially. They tied the last game. But you put up 16 runs, and that was really due to travel restrictions. I trust what they were doing there in San Diego. You also have wins over Hawaii, and then also a very good team in UNLV, and your only loss against UC Irvine, who's always solid. But going off that, some guys and names to look out for for this weekend, Will. Garrett Rennie, starting pitcher. It's .75 ERA, 1.08 whip. I was going to the wrong stream, my bad. Um, he's only a bat, opponent batting average is only 239. And then on top of that, James Sashin, their Saturday guy, 1.17 ERA, 1.7 whip, and a 120 opponent batting average. And then, like we mentioned earlier in my uh, weekend rotation, Jack Costello is one of the hottest bats in the country right now. The whole Toreros lineup has six guys hitting over 300, and they have dudes everywhere. Justin DeCrisco is another one of those guys. Angelo Peraza. There's just a lot of guys that people should look out for. I really do think this is one of the better um, small school teams in the country right now. Small school playing like a big major. I do, and I think that um, when I look at this series, I think it's going to be a split overall. I think that Oregon, I, I'm pick, but I'm gonna. If I had to pick a winner, I'm gonna pick Oregon. Um, the the cool part about this series that's gonna be happening in Eugene is that it's a four game set, and it's yeah. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So there's four games starting Thursday. And I think Oregon wins the series. If I had to pick a winner, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw a split. But either way, San Diego is a very good opponent for Oregon, a team that's been inside the top 25 this season. Uh, not anymore after they got swept by UC Santa Barbara this past weekend and they couldn't hit. They only scored three runs over the weekend and so they're going to have to turn it around but I think this is a great opportunity for them to bounce back they got a four game sweep against Xavier to start the year the Ducks did uh, but then they get swept by UC Santa Barbara they sit at four and three I don't think they're going to I mean, on a three-game losing streak, back at home again against San Diego, I think that they know that they have to get this series because next weekend they host UCLA. So that's going to be imperative for Oregon to get this series. I think they get it done. They're my pick. This might be the – I honestly think I might be most excited for this series in a weird way. 
I just like it. I like how it's going to look. It's going to be a great jersey matchup, too. No, that has nothing to do with performance, but it's going to be good looking on the field. It will be. And I think that you're going to have to, you're really going to have to get um, other guy, guys other than Tanner Smith hitting for yeah. this team and not just hitting extra base hits. They only have six home runs through seven games and um, oh, five doubles. So, and as a team right now, so they haven't really been slugging 318 slugging as a team, but the more concern is they just need hits. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're hitting 202. They're near the Mendoza line as a team right now. Um, hitting and Tanner Smith is at 300. That's their best hitter right now, average wise, when you look at the amount of at bats he's had in terms of being a starter in this lineup. So that's the thing that you've got to watch, obviously, that. Um, the arms are going to have to come play and that they, it, you ask your arms to be perfect when you can't put up enough runs. So that, I'm, I'm in a big Oregon, I believe in the, what that team they have. And I think that they've got a great leader in Tanner Smith, who's the all time hits guy at Oregon. So I'm going to go with Oregon in, in that regard and uh, they're going to be my pick. So we kind of uh, agreed on the first two and we went separate ways on the next three. So uh, those yeah. are our picks uh, for the weekend. This is this. If listen, if you uh, if you went, let's say you went out, this you have a massive lead over me now in the week by week picks. Yeah, well, I have a what one game lead right now. Yeah. So we'll see. Overall, those um are the picks, and again, um, I want to just open the floor. Anything you else that we missed that didn't become a win or loser weekend rotation? The only thing that stood out to me. Uh, was Tennessee. Obviously, the two chases through so well. Yeah. But that's not that's a standout. It's not a surprise because I think they truly have, along with Drew Beam, the best rotation in the nation. Uh, but also they got better, which is weird because Maui yeah. Ahuna is back now and their coach is back. Tony Vitello uh, was suspended for three games over the weekend. But and within an hour, both announcements were made. Uh, Ahuna <laughs> got eligible and then Vitello was reinstated. reinstated. And back to back, like a matter of minutes, those two press releases came hot. And that immediately was a big, a big moment for Tennessee, um, who's a top five team in the nation, currently ranked third and obviously uh, a team to watch that just got better. I want, I'm interested to see where Maui enters in that lineup that is going to pr- probably lead off, but yeah. um, obviously Dickey more and, and bats up and down the order. And then the pitching staff is just, I mean, something you ooh and ah about every day of the week. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think the only thing I have to add to this, it was fun seeing the highlights of the gas off between Paul Skeens and Brody Breck. Yes, no doubt. I mean, Paul Skeens, man, He's he's something you could talk he's about incredible. every single week. Um, he has really. I mean, the question we have was how what what type of transition does he make into the SEC? Well, obviously, he hasn't played in SEC action yet, but yeah. he's looking like the best arm in that we've right seen. Now. I mean, six six two fifty throws a hundred. Um, he he does everything right. He's a back to back all American. Like the last yeah. two years, he's been a name at Air Force that we've just said, "Hey, like Paul Skeens, man." And and now uh, he's just done incredible. The other thing you got to say is just Dylan Cruz is really good at baseball. I mean, he, he had an incredible week. I think he only got out three times this past week, <laughs> and he has on the season hitting five sixty five through seven games and has a fifteen hundred OPS. Um, thirteen for twenty three is what it's um. 
hit line is right now. 13 hits and 23 at-bats so far with 13 runs scored, three doubles, a homer, nine RBI. Uh, but then again, you have Jared Jones, who's going to hit the ball at the park. Braden Jobert, who's going to hit the ball at the park. Gavin Dugas, who's going to hit the ball at the park. Trey Morgan, um, not to mention, I think the guy that will lead the team in home runs, Tommy White, hasn't even hit one yet. So yeah. um, that's, that's going to be really cool. It should be. Um, it's also the last thing I'll say about skins too is it takes a lot to be overtake Chase Dollander as the most talked about pitcher in the SEC or the country. Yeah. And he's kind of done that right. And that's no shade against Dollander. He's been great too. It's the fact that Paul Skeens has just been doing Paul Skeen things. Yeah. I mean, when you go Skeens and then you got also the fact that Riley Cooper is a good arm. Yeah. Chase Shores is pitching for you guys. That's your hurt. That's your hurt. That's your hurt. will be back eventually. That's all we needed to care about, really. Yeah. At the end of the day, that that's unbelievable. And then you've got a guy like Blake Money now coming out, <laughs> coming yeah. out of the bullpen. And so that's just, it's just really, really good, really yeah. good stuff for LSU. They're the team to watch, and that's going to be the question all season long. Is we know they're the team to watch, but can they be the team that everybody thinks they can be with their potential? That's going to be the question. Absolutely. And then they've well, kind of shown it so far, but I'm, I'm so excited for a conference play this year because uh, like teams like South Carolina, um, Tennessee as well, obviously LSU and like Wake Forest and those guys keep playing like this going into conference play. And then if they continue to do this, we might have one of the most electric college world series we've seen in a long time. Yeah, they all have to get there too. That's the thing absolutely. with had a team like Tennessee who didn't get there a season yeah. ago. And um, but overall, yes, absolutely. And I think that a lot of teams are destined in many ways. A Florida, another team like you were talking yeah, about. Absolutely. So um overall, that's the podcast. Um stick around and hear an unbelievable conversation so good. with Johnny Hernandez, head coach of Bethune Cookman. He has just an unbelievable story. I mean truly talk about um being from Miami, coaching a high school in his hometown, um, and then ultimately building a junior college program. Literally, he was the first ever head coach of the yeah. program. Didn't have a home field to then get okay, an opportunity. Let's not, let's not give it all field. away. Yeah, I know we won't give it all away, but uh, just stick around. And that is coming up shortly. So yeah. thanks for everybody for for listening to our weight breakdown of week two. Um, and now we're going to send it off to Mr. Hernandez. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? Well, this is the Midweek Podcast, and we've got a great conversation that's about to happen with head coach of Bethune-Cookman's baseball team, Johnny Hernandez. Johnny, appreciate your time here. You're off to a 6-2 and two start. You're coming off the heels of a sweep over Purdue-Fort Wayne, uh, a big-time start, and excited to talk about you today, a little bit about your background, and also about this baseball team that's doing some really good things um, this season. So appreciate you, and uh, looking forward to speaking with you about your ball club here today no I appreciate you guys having me on you know it's, it's an honor right uh, to be able to speak about our program and what we're doing and off the heels of a four-game sweep um, you know like where we're at right now we, we still got some things to work on but definitely a good start so far am I supposed to go yeah go ahead oh, okay. I thought and if you're waiting we, for can me, go, we, yeah. we can go back and forth with it all right cool um <laughs> Like, yeah, thanks again, obviously, Coach, for coming coming on the podcast and everything. So I'm just going to start off with a question to start. That's not so much about the team, but just you and what it means to represent this university. So 
what does it mean for you to be a head coach at an HBCU? I know that obviously being head coach of any university carries weight, obviously the responsibility to represent a program and a university well, but what's it like with that HBCU tag as well? Um, I think it's, it's an honor, you know, it's, it, it's special, man. Like it's something that we all head coaches, right. Um, especially those at the HBCU, we don't take that opportunity for granted. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that have paved the way for us to, to have this opportunity. Um, and especially here at Bethune with the success that we've had, you know, within our tradition and our program, you know, it's something where I'm just trying to build, continue to build on the tradition, what is at Bethune Cookman, but it's definitely special. You know, you get to interact with the kids in a different way, so to speak, you know, because not only are we trying to develop, you know, baseball players, but for us, it's getting the guys ready for the game of life, you know? So we, we have that kind of personal connection with our players um, and with our coaches and staff. And I think it just means that much more, uh, to represent, you know, not only Bethune-Cookman University, but definitely a baseball program within the HBCU realm. Absolutely. And before we start talking about what this Wildcats program is doing this season and, and what you feel like they could potentially do in the SWAC in your second year in that league, I personally want to turn back the clock um, just for a moment and not only go back to 2019 when you were initially hired, uh, but all the way back to 2014. Uh, when you literally built a program from the ground up. Uh, talk about that experience at ASA and how that ultimately propelled you into a position at Bethune-Cookman. I mean, the experience at ASA, I, I do think that without that experience, I don't have an opportunity to become the head coach here at, at Bethune-Cookman University. Um, you know, got to give thanks to Kenny Wilcox, who was the athletic director at the time, who entrusted me uh, to, to lead the program and to pretty much build up a brand new program from a junior college that nobody knew what ASA college was. Uh, it was a branch off of a New York, um, you know, area. Uh, they have a Manhattan campus and they branched off to Florida. Uh, but that opportunity taught me a lot, man. It taught me to really you know, be organized within being a head coach, working in the realm of administration, what that kind of day-to-day -day basis is going to be, financial aid, understanding the entire process, not so much of on the field, but definitely on the athletic administration side. It definitely helped me, um, you know, to be where I'm at today. Um, th those four or five years, it was, it was unique because Believe it or not, we were in a shopping center in North Miami Beach. So it was ASA College in a shopping center and you have, you know, a, a local restaurant right next door. So as far as like recruiting, it, it definitely kind of changed how we were going to go about recruiting kids. Um, you know, you have to sell the vision of your program. You have to sell what you are able to do with the development of the players, um, you know, not only on the field, but off the field as well. Uh, but I was able to mold that program to whatever I wanted to. I didn't have to fall back on other head coaches and what they've done. I, I pretty much could build that program from, you know, however I wanted and, and what we wanted to attain, um, you know, for that program at ASA College. And we moved to Hialeah uh, two years after, and that's in my hometown. And that was special because uh, I get to coach in my own hometown. And, you know, ASA College provided opportunities for players that, if ASA is not there, maybe they're out of the game of baseball. And that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot because there are very good baseball programs, especially junior college baseball programs at the time down in South Florida. So it was an opportunity for these kids to not only extend their athletic careers, but their academic careers as well. Um, so that experience was second to none. And, and I, I kind of go through that every single day because without those four or five years at ASA, I don't think I become or get selected to become the head coach here at Bethune-Cookman. 
Yeah, and to go off of that, to continue with ASA, if I remember, if I read correctly, you guys did not have a home field, correct? We did not. So we pretty much shared the facility with the high school team in which that I was coaching at and I played at. Um, you know, one of the cool things about moving ASA from North Miami Beach to the Hialeah campus was all the big guys in the Parks and Recreation Department in the city of Hialeah, they were all my summer counselors back when I was a young kid. So that connection, that relationship allowed for us to utilize the city of Hialeah, you know, athletic facilities. Basketball was at Bucky Dent Park. Uh, baseball, we were at Alex Fernandez Field where I played high school baseball, coached high school baseball. Now I have a junior college baseball program that I'm running practices in. So, you know, it was tough, but but I think the adversity that we felt, um, it was like, hey, you know what? Don't worry about what you don't have. Worry about what you do have and get better and move on. Yeah, it's a, I think that's a great mindset to have because like when I read that, I was shocked because like, such a nice thing, you know, you go on a long road trip, like, oh, think how we get to go home, you know, be on our own field, but you don't really have a home field. So that's definitely, a, I've never heard of that before, but I'm a, but very impressive overall for sure. Yeah, we were road warriors. And oh, yeah. I think with the group of guys that we had, and that was part of the identification and, and um, evaluation side with the recruits that we were bringing in. It couldn't be that we knew we were going to get the blue chip prospect, right? Like the highest ranked guy. Like we yeah. needed guys that had a chip on their shoulder. They just wanted to grind. They loved the grind. And some of the guys that needed second chances, most of our teams were made up of guys that got cut or were released from previous junior colleges or four-year institutions, and they just had that kind of dog mentality. And that's what we continue to do here at Bethune-Cookman with the guys that we do have currently on our roster, and we continue to bring in uh, in our roster here at Bethune-Cookman. I love that. And when you talk about your team, if we talk about you then becoming the head coach of the Wildcats in 2019, with your first season, you go through a normal full season. And then the next year, adversity not just hits Bethune-Cookman, but the whole entire NCAA had the season stop just after a couple weeks. You don't play any conference games that year. And then the next year, no games as well. So you go back-to-back -back years without having a conference game, and then you switch conferences uh, the next season in 2022. Talk about having your one year done as a head coach. You get to go through your first off season, and then you don't play a conference game for the span of two seasons. And I understand that that second year, you started to send guys off to junior colleges just to have them get experience. Talk about that adversity and, and how it's maybe even helped you um, as you guys compete this season. Yeah. So going into the first year, you know, we looked at the roster and we knew that there were some additions that we we're going to have to make in the off season in order to get the program back to where it needed to be. Um, you know, that first year and even with the recruits, we talk about very about transparency. You know, we went 17 and 34, 17 and 35, just, um, uncharacteristic of the tradition uh, that we have here at Bethune. So, you know, we made the change. We brought a big recruiting class. I think at the time that recruiting class on the high school side was ranked, I think, 58th or 59th in the country. So now you put an HBCU baseball program, you know, with some big names on the recruiting side. We felt like we were going to be – we are heading in the right direction. But, of course, as we know, the pandemic hits – uh, sent everybody home. We all felt, you know, the, the hurt, right, that happened with COVID and, and understandably so. But 2021, we come back or the fall of 20, uh, excuse me, we come back with our roster. You know, we're ready to go. And it was live ABs in the fall. You know, we get a, a phone call from our administration. Johnny canceled practice. You know, we're going to have a Zoom call. And that's where they told us, hey, we are opting out of athletics, you know, due to COVID-19. 
So, you know, that was, that was weird for us because we felt like we had a team that was going to do some great things in that 2021 season. But again, we understood why that decision was made. Um, we had to, we felt that it was in the best interest of the kids to go out and play. The recruiting class that we had just brought on board just did not make sense for them to stay another year without playing. Let's send them off to junior college with the junior college context that we have here at Bethune. We sent those players out, not knowing if they were going to come back or not, but we knew that in, in the best interest of our student athletes, that was the right thing to do by them. And then some of our upperclassmen, we also made calls across the country to D2s, you know, NAIA programs to give those guys an opportunity to continue to play and finish off their final year because some of the student athletes that we do get, we, we actually, their first generation, you know, they have the ability to be first generation collegiate graduates. So we didn't want to take that away from them. So we sent them off again, right? Like it's not about us. Our egos checked at the door, right? Like we traded the cleats for turfs a long time ago. Yeah. We already went through our playing experiences and, and that was the best thing that happened to our program because in the fall of 21, we had something that nobody could provide in our opinion was roster spots and scholarship money available with the log jam because of the NCAA rules, you know, we're concerned. So going into a new conference, uh, we wanted to put our money on pitching and defense uh, going into the SWAC. And I think we did a good job. Yeah, we went 27 and 31, but we were 1911 in conference. We made it to the conference tournament as a semifinalist. You know, we got beat by the eventual uh, SWAC champion, Alabama State. Uh, but I think, again, our, our program's kind of heading in the right direction. And this is really year two of what a reload session is after not playing 20 and 21. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think that's a very selfless act on your guys' part, too, because I think a lot of coaches, you know, guys worry about job security and stuff. And, you know, they'd be like, okay, well. What, what you're saying, well, they want what's best for those kids, but at the same time, like, oh crap, we gotta, you know, refill the roster and everything. But I like that you came with that approach. Like, it's another, it's another time to start fresh once again. You guys, like you said, you have a ton of roster spots and a ton of money to give out, and that's a great advantage, especially when you want some of those guys there. Tweeners, a lot of those guys, are like, well, this school is offering me X amount of money. This guy can give me a little bit more. Like, I like the coach. A lot of different things can go into that. And then you to go off of scouting because you're talking about that too, and because obviously in that situation, you need uh, players that are high character kind of guys. What are some things when you're out on the recruiting trail that you and your assistant coaches look for in players that is unique that players would not think about? Cause I mean, we all know, like it doesn't take a genius to see the six, four guy that's throwing 95 is going to be a good player. Like what are the things that you guys look for that? Okay. That's a guy that I want in my program that we can build around and build a culture with. I think pretty much right. Like we have to put ourselves in a situation that guys are going to compete at a high level. You know, if you look at our schedule, you know, traditionally, it's a very strong non-conference schedule. You know, it seems like last year we went to LSU for a weekend. This year we're going to South Carolina for a weekend, all of our midweek. So we have to be able to bring in a different type of kid. Like it's got to be a guy that loves a grind. Not so much early in the tournament, but what I look for is later on in the tournament when yeah. we're on the summer recruiting trail, right, where it's a constellation game on a two o'clock on a Sunday, like who's really going to show up and who's really going to show out. Cause that's type of the grind that, that, you know, our players are going to go through throughout the course of the year. Um, but being a great teammate, you know, how are you, are you the same guy where you're four for four, where it's great to be a happy, cheery guy with teammate type yeah. of guy, or when you're over four, are you the same guy? Or are you different? How do you act in front of your parents or, you know, with the umpires that's essential too. 
You know, how do you treat umpires? How do you treat other people that maybe are not involved in the game? How do you walk into the ballpark? There's just so many intangible things that we look for, not just the playing ability, because I think we we can identify, right? Like who's a good player yeah, for sure, and who's a great player, but what are those intangible things that are going to separate you from being a good teammate to a great teammate? Yeah, absolutely. And coach, somebody that it feels like is going to be a great teammate uh, for you this year, or at least uh, he threw the ball extremely effectively um, in, in a couple starts already this season and added addition to already, which was a great pitching staff. Uh, Daniel Gaviera, talk about uh, the addition. You get him from Florida State College out of Jacksonville, and that's pretty cool. He played under a former Bethune-Cookman Co a player um, coaching at Florida State College. Then he comes to your program. He's really shoved in his first two outings, and I'm sure you love that one, two, three punch that you have uh, with the rotation headed in uh, to SWAC play here in a couple weeks. Yeah, Gavidia has done a phenomenal job. You know, he's not a guy that's going to light up the radar gun, but what I love about him, he just loves to compete with all the rules, with the pitch clock and and all that stuff going on. It's like quick tempo. You know, like I think our game on Sunday was maybe two hours and 25 minutes, if I'm not mistaken, where Friday and Saturday, it was like a three hour game. So um, it, it's a great addition to to, I think, a really good, you know, Friday, Saturday uh, guys that we do have in Liptra and Santos. But I think those three guys, that's kind of like our three headed monster. Right. Like, I mean, I'll put those guys up against anybody just because of the things that they're able to bring, not solely on the mound for us, but. It's a competition within a competition, every start that they're in. And that's something that we wanted to build where, hey, like Gaviria threw a complete game shutout. I think it's the first time in, in a few years that Bethune has had a starter on a weekend throw a complete game shutout. Uh, but again, like he has experience. You know, he's an older guy. He's a veteran. He pitched in the Division II Junior College World Series last year in Eden, Oklahoma, as part of that team that you alluded to that, that he was at last year. Um, and, and, man, he's cool as a cat, and he's got ice in his veins. Like, nothing bothers him. It's it's happy-go-lucky, and it's like, all right, here we go. But when he does get the ball, it's, it's ice in his veins, and let's get ready to roll. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, to go off that then, too, because obviously those are guys, like I, I talk, mentioned before, that are program builders and guys you want to set an example for your program. And – we talked about beforehand because we were clearing up when you exactly started and you mentioned the fact that it's basically you've been here for five years, but only really coached three. And you guys, I think you guys have grown, like even though it was a losing record last year, like the growth is obviously there and you made a great point through 19 and 11 in conference play. What do you think you've seen the most growth in, in your time at Cookman? And like, what can you attribute to that growth as well? I think the biggest thing, and, and not a lot of people understand how valuable this is, is a continuity within your players and continuity within your coaching staff. So this is the first year that we go back to back with some of our returners and then even our coaching staff. Yeah. You know, Coach Carbio has been with me since I first got hired here back in the fall of 2018 for the 2019 season. But he's grown too, right? Like he started as a graduate assistant. Yeah. And, you know, we had uh, two of our coaches leave. You know, one, our pitching coach left to New Mexico State. And then our other uh, assistant coach left to go work uh, professionally with the Minnesota Twins. But this is the first year that we have continuity within our staff and continuity with our returning players. And it helps because now the new guys are able to fall back on the veterans, you know, yeah. and, and this is what we do. And even some of our guys coming back, they understand what our system is. They understand what our throwing programs look like. They understand kind of the day to day of how we operate because of the continuity that we finally do have 
playing in back-to-back seasons, uh, you know, from last year and now this year. Absolutely. And not only that, like we had talked about back-to-back seasons of returning uh, your Friday, Saturday guys who you're a team that was best in the swag and ERA and strikeouts. And you look at a stat where maybe you're vulnerable is offensive numbers, but you went to the transfer portal and added some big time bats. Talk about uh, those additions as well and how you feel like that might make your team more successful. A big time guy out of Arizona making an impact for you already this season. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you look back at last year, um, going into a new conference, we definitely wanted to put our money on pitching and defense. I'm a firm believer that you will never hit your way to a championship. You score 10, you give up 11. At the end of the day, the only statistic that we're worried about here in our program is wins and losses. We're not worried about the individual statistics um, when it comes to some of this stuff. Uh, but we did identify some guys. Now, Luis Tuero is a kid that started off his collegiate career at the University of Miami uh, for two years, then went the junior college route and then uh, ended up at Arizona. Now with the transfer portal rules, we were able to get him eligible here at Bethune-Cookman. And, and that's changed the whole complexion of our lineup. You know, he's a guy that, that's been on uh, coming up clutch for us. Uh, Highland Hall is another guy from Washington State that we were able to bring in, and he's going to provide that middle-of-the-order thump. Uh, that we were missing last year. And Robert Moya is another guy, junior college transfer, who was at Cleveland Community College. We're looking for him to, you know, again, provide some offense for us, much needed offense um, that we did not have last year. And he's a guy that hit 11 home runs last year in junior college. Uh, some of those guys that, that that are coming in, they're just gelling together. A guy like Garrett Chung, who is our two-hole right now. I mean, he's another guy. He was Gavidia's teammate last year in junior college experience playing at the division two junior college world series it's just a veteran lineup with guys that just continuously are grinding out their at-bats trusting the process believing in what we're doing and what we're teaching and applying some of that stuff so um, I think last year deficiencies situational hitting was something that we needed to get better at and this group has done a great job within the last seven six or seven games applying what we're teaching you know, for us to score more runs. Yeah. And you mentioned, you're talking a lot about um, your teachings and everything. So my question is, because I'm curious, I couldn't find it um, looking it up, but when, how did you want to get in coaching and then who helped inspire you to go that route in your career? Cause I think a lot of guys, like there's plenty of former players who, you know, they do their four years, they're dumb. It takes a special person to go, I want to come back. I want to be what my coach was for me. And that's what it was. You know, I think when I was playing high school, right, I was a lefty 82 to 83 miles an hour. I knew that professional baseball was not in the cards for me. And I was okay with that. You know, I think a lot of players nowadays, they can't accept that fact, you know, with everything going around. So it was for me just being a sponge throughout high school, right, even going to college. But, you know, coaches like Rich Bilski, who was our head coach at Hialeah High School, uh, where I was fortunate enough to play under him for two years, um, coaches like Carlos Marti, who was a pitching coach back then. And it was just at a young age, I was very interested in the intricacies of the baseball game. Why are we running this first and third defense? Why are we running this bunt defense? Why would we hit and run? When's a great time to hit and run? What about the safety? And kind of all those things. It wasn't like me being a nuisance. It was me really speaking to my coaches like, hey, I really want to stay in the game of baseball. I don't have to be a professional baseball player to become successful in this game. So I'm going to ask you guys questions and this is why I want to learn. And that continued to grow. Um, you know, Mike Maulini is, is another guy that kind of paved the way an opportunity for myself to coach 
summer ball because um, I co- I played for him summer ball for a little bit. So uh, he took me on the road for the summer. And at 18, 19 years old, here I am not knowing what I'm getting myself into coaching summer ball. Uh, but that was a great experience, you know. But again, like this is something I knew I, I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to give back, um, you know, to the younger generation, especially back in my hometown. I think yeah. the first goal was getting into coaching and going back to my alma mater, Hialeah High School, and being able to coach. And, and I was able to check that box off. Then the next box was, all right, let's take this team to the state tournament. I was very fortunate to be a part of three state uh, championship appearances, uh, two state championship teams, you know, my time at Hialeah. So check that box off. Then it was like, all right, let's get guys drafted, professional opportunities. Boom, check that box off. But it was always, it wasn't about me. It was more about giving back to our community, letting guys know coming up like, hey man, I played here. Now I'm coaching here. You got to do what you need to do to get you ready for life. You know, and and I think that that junior college experience taught me a lot, um, you know, at ASA college and then now propels me to where I'm at right now. So if we fall back to the question, it's more of like, I just wanted to give back what the game gave me and then what I can give back to my community. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's what it really is all about in any kind of sport is, you you put get you whatever you get out what you put in you know, and then well I'm gonna hop in because I have one more question to go off that because you mentioned your state championship runs and you had some uh people people might not know this for the pop you had some pretty darn good players on some of the squads and I was gonna ask you about two of them and uh, specifically because I know a lot of people know one of the guys and both of them are very talented in their own right but what was it like coaching guys like Nestor Cortez and Ragnar Ravello like that's because I remember like playing against some big dudes in high school like not on my team specifically but we faced like the pro talent was obvious so I wanted to kind of know like them as players and how they went about their business and like was the, did you know those guys were going to be that kind of player when you were coaching them when i came into hialeah Renhel ravilo was kind of a hot name already you know yeah. I, that, that, that kind of like fell on my lap you know but um a great player third baseman a ton of pop you know he did well um i think he got a cup in the big leagues or you know a yeah. cup of tea in the big leagues with the st louis cardinals if, if i'm not mistaken and he was with the oakland age for a little bit but Came up through the Chicago White Sox organization. Uh, I think he was a double-A uh, player of the year or, or minor league player of the year at one point when he was over with the Barons of Birmingham with the White Sox minor league organization. But just a great overall dude, and he knew what he wanted to do, and, and there was nothing going to stop him. Uh, Nestor, it, it, interesting case with Nestor because not too many freshmen have the ability to start you know, at the program at Hialeah High School, and he was one of few guys that was able to start for us in the outfield. Um, but he wasn't a, a a pitcher coming up. He was our starting left fielder leadoff guy for about two years. All right. And it came down to spring break tournament his sophomore year. We're playing against a rival uh, school, Miami Springs Senior High School. And, you know, we needed an arm just to kind of get us through two or three innings. And, you know, we knew Nestor from his younger days that did have experience pitching, but he was never put in that situation. And, and just asked him, Nestor, we just need three innings. Um, of course, three innings turned into six innings on 55 <laughs> pitches. And then the next offseason, we talked to his parents, um, you know, that we were going to kind of put him in a throwing program. And Nestor, again, just he knew what he wanted, you know, yeah. the, the grind that he went through to perfect his craft and his coming out party was his junior year. You know, that year, you know, he did very well pitched in the uh, regional championship game against Columbus. We ended up losing that game. But you have a team that had a couple of draft picks, you know, ton of Division One guys, and yeah. uh, but again, it's just the work ethic, the attitude, the dedication to their craft, um, and at the same time, humble people. 
guys that didn't let the spotlight get too big on them. You know, they wanted to put on for our community, for our baseball program. And we've all seen what Nestor has been able to do now with the New York Yankees for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was a huge fan of him last year, not only as a player, but Lord, was he helping my fantasy baseball team last year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And I know that, Coach, uh, we talk about you winning six of your first eight games with a six and two record out of the gate. You mentioned situational hitting. Well, uh, there's no better thing uh, to get a hit in a situation where it could potentially win the game. You get back to back walk off wins against Lehigh in the opening weekend series. What was that like? And it was Colton. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. But he got both of those uh, walk-offs. Talk about that and uh, that experience as well. Our great experience. You know, I think that we had an opportunity to win on Friday, just kind of let some opportunities get away from us. But the thing with this group is no matter what the score is, you know, they believe that they're going to come back and do what they need to do, you know. And, and I think the theme of these last two weekends, it's like every time an opposing team scores, our dugout or our offense just comes right back and just throws another punch. So they don't lay back from anybody. Now, Colton is a special player. You know, he's a three-time Team USA national team alumni. Um, you know, he is the heartbeat of our team. He's our Dustin Pedroia. You know, he goes about things the right way. He, You know, he's he's the one that you want on your team. In that situation, that's the guy you want up there because he's not going to back down. Puts the team first always. Everything he does um, you know, his work ethic, dedication to his craft. I mean, and, and there it is, right? Like there's good karma, there's bad karma, and there's the baseball gods. And like the baseball gods definitely, you know, shined upon him, um, you know, the first uh, two walk-off wins that we have. But even again, when he comes up in a situation, everyone in the dugout knows that, hey, he's going to come through for us. And if he doesn't come through, the next guy is going to go ahead and pick him up. You know, it, it, not one person um, is doing everything. We're getting production from different type of guys in the lineup, and, and that's that. That's great to see, and hopefully we can kind of get it more consistently um, as the as the season goes on. But Olison, uh, he's done a very good job for us. Yeah, and we, we've talked a lot about how important your players are. Obviously, for the program, you obviously need players to have a baseball team in the first place. Uh, but I think a lot of the ca the casual fans will get lost in the fact that they, you know they see the players and they see you as the head coach, but could you talk a little bit about how important your assistant coaches are? You mentioned how your main assistant has been with you since the beginning. Um, what do those guys mean to you? Because I, like you said, you're, you're one guy. It takes a whole, it takes your family, it takes your all your coaching staff, it takes the whole community, you guys, to be successful. Man, you know, Coach Carbio, um, you know, Coach Sanchez, and now Coach Brown, who we just hired to to work with the outfielders. They mean everything to me. You know, without them, this doesn't get going. It's like you said, right? Like. I can't be everywhere at once. Yeah. You know, I can't be everywhere on the field at once. I can't be doing everything. And I understand that. Like one of the, the things that I speak openly with our, you know, with our assistants is guys, like I know one day you guys want to be a head coach. I'm not going to be your roadblock. We have that open dialogue. I think it's our responsibility as head coaches. Yes, we want to develop our players, but I think that we do have a responsibility to develop assistant coaches because we were all assistant coaches at one point or another in our careers, you know, um, I think we have a great relationship, us three, um, you know, we meet every morning, hey, this is what we're going to attack on the practice plan. What do you think? Like, I, I'm not a micromanager. I, I don't want to make every decision. I, I don't, yes, I make the decisions, but I definitely do care about the input of our assistant coaches. And I think that's what's made us successful so far early on, because we all talk to each other. 
you know, like I tell the guys, you know, when you're a head coach, act like a head coach, but grind like an assistant coach, right? Like I'll never lose that because I knew how hard it was for me to get to this point and I never take that for granted. And at the same time, like those dudes do a phenomenal job, you know, whether it's early work, whether it's bullpens, whether it's assisting with game management, like every inning, if something happens or two or three innings ahead of it, I'm always asking them like, hey, if this situation comes up in the seventh and we're, we're in the fourth inning, they're like, Johnny, don't get ahead of yourself. Well, wait a second. Let, 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 I don't want this to blow up on us. Like, let's be ready. These are the options we have. What are you feeling? What are you seeing? This is what I'm seeing. Like, there's always an open dialogue, not only pregame, during game, but postgame as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I know Charlie earlier asked a little bit about uh, your recruiting process and and kind of what you look for in recruiting. But I know for head coaches, uh, the last couple of years, recruiting has kind of changed uh, with the advent of the transfer portal. How have you navigated that? And how do you think that's going to change uh, the way people recruit uh, moving forward, not just at your university, but really across uh, the landscape of college baseball to try to build a team year in and year out and maybe gather players that are going to fit your needs for that particular season? Yeah, I think the transfer portal is not leaving. Um, that That's going to stay with us here at the Division One level. And that's fine. You know, it, for us, we'll probably have kids that want to seek opportunities at other, other institutions. That's fine. We have an opportunity now to reload our roster with guys that are seeking those opportunities that maybe they did not get at high-profile programs or other mid-major programs, whatever the case may be. I think it does change. You know, I, I think that, again, it's it's not, it's not going to go away. It gives us an opportunity to, to continue to be competitive. And, and I think it, it it allows our SWAT conference as a whole to identify some of those key players that maybe they spoke to early on in the recruiting process and they didn't choose their school. They go to X, Y, and C school. Well, hey, let me call Coach Hernandez uh, because I like the way how we talked or whatnot throughout the recruiting process. And let's go see and go down to Bethune-Cookman. So I think it's it's a double-edged sword, right? You'll have kids that are going to leave your program, but at the same time, you definitely do have an, the ability to reload your roster with some of the kids that are looking or seeking for opportunities to continue to play and, and get their collegiate degree. Yeah, uh, you, like you mentioned, you obviously have plenty of experience in reloading rosters as being a JUCO coach. And so I was wondering, what are some of the biggest challenges – um, either you're surprised by or prepared for going from the JUCO ranks to a Division One school? I think probably one of the biggest differences was when I first got hired was learning the recruiting rules, right? That's true. Like, it's not like the Wild Wild West in junior college and, and you know, you were dealing with APR, academic progress rates, you know, retention. So that was a little bit of adjustment. But I think, you know, now where you have a grasp on it, for us, we tend to recruit a lot on the junior college side because of my own experience coaching on the junior college side and how old college baseball rosters are. We have to be able to field the team that's going to be competitive, not only in conference, but out of conference as well, uh, because we all know, right? Like whoever wins or, or let's say Bethune-Cookman, for example, you know, if, if we have the opportunity to win a conference championship, we're going to three big regional sites, whether it's Miami, whether it's Florida, whether it's Florida State. So we have to be able to represent our conference in in, in a strong fashion. So yeah. in order to do that, we need to recruit older players because college baseball right now is at a point where the rosters are older guys, 24, 23, 24, 24 year old guys. So we have to be able to be conducive for that. And, and I think too, where other schools recruit the transfer portal and that's great, more power to them. 
for us, it makes sense to go the junior college route because those guys, not to say that the transfer portal guys don't have a chip on their shoulder, but there's plenty of options now in the junior college side uh, for us to recruit from and have that big pool to bring them here and entice them to come over to Daytona Beach. Yeah, I agree. I do think, especially the JUCO guys, like they obviously made the conscious decision to sacrifice maybe going to a, a school they could have guaranteed money at, but they wanted to say, I want to go D1 or something like that. And they take that risk and gamble of going to JUCO and trusting themselves and believing in themselves that they can make that jump. And eventually I, I get that for sure. And speaking of junior college success, I know we talk about your Sunday starter, complete game shutout, was pitching at a junior college a season ago. Let's talk about Nolan Santos as well, the guy who his freshman season played under you and then went to Miami-Dade College, then came back and struck out 113 batters last year and walked 33. I mean, it's really striking to see um, the strikeout numbers compared to walks um, on your pitching staff. It was very apparent with Santos and it's just impressive to see uh, the fact that your pitchers are able to be effective in that manner. Is that something you look at and say, hey, um, at the end of the day, you've got to be in the zone. You've got to compete. And, and uh, having that goal, potentially, you got to be three to one in the strikeout to walk. And that's how we're going to ultimately be competitive. And, and certainly your starting pitchers now back to back years on the bump with an added element, uh, Santos, a guy, it seems really cool that he's able to come back and just have an incredible year last year. And he's off to a great start this year as well. Yeah. So I, I remember I was coaching at ASA college and, and Nolan Santos was a big time name, you know, back home in South Florida, you know, he attended Miami beach senior high school. Um, I, I went to a high school game because I was recruiting one of his teammates and he was only Santos was only a junior. And this was against, uh, you know, a pretty good high school opponent that they had. And after the game, I just spoke to him and the father and I said, Hey, he's probably going to get division one interest, but if he wants to go junior college, ASA is, is right here for you. We have an opportunity, you know, then I get the job at Bethune. Of course, there I am calling, you know, Nolan, like, come over here, you know, this is what we want you to do. We were kind of rebuilding the roster uh, with a lot of high school kids just to kind of build the success for what we wanted prior to the pandemic. Um, fortunate enough for him, you know, he chose us, uh, came to, to Bethune. And when I sent him off to junior college, it was a situation where we sent him to Miami-Dade Junior College with one of my good friends, Adrian Morales, um, you know, was a head coach there. And when it was time to bring him back, we had to fight off a few schools. It, it wasn't something that, he was a slam dunk coming to Bethune-Cookman. You know, we had to kind of really work and re-recruit some of the kids that we sent off to junior college. So he comes back with us. And again, 113 strikeouts, broke the strikeout record uh, for us here at Bethune-Cookman. And he's off to a really good start right now, just like Lipthrad and, and now Gavidia. But having a guy like Santos and Lipthrad on Friday, Saturday, and you can even argue with Gavidia, there's not really a one, two, three. It's like one A, one double A, and, and kind of one AAA, uh, <laughs> if, if that makes sense, right? Um, but Nolan is a competitor. Um, he's a great dude, works hard. That's another guy that doesn't back down from competition. I think that if it was up to him, he'd probably pitch on the midweeks, right? Instead of pitching on the weekends because of the teams we do play. But we're a better team uh, with him pitching on Saturdays for us. Um, you know, if Lip Threat does what he needs to do on Friday and we, you know, we're able to get a win or like we saw opening weekend, right? We lost on Friday. Santos gave us an opportunity to win and tie the series and Gavidia did what he needed to do for us to, to win that opening series. But Santos is, is a great dude, competitor, bulldog. I think everything you want in a pitcher, Santos has that. 
um, like our other guys do. But, you know, he's been doing it at an elite level for quite some time um, before his career even began at the college level. Yeah, it's that's true. I love that kind of stuff for sure. Um, This is a question I kind of asked you a little bit already, but um, you've I, th- I think it's fair to say you've had a very hard time in the sense of the things thrown at you since you started um, coaching here. Cause like three out of five is just insane to me when it comes to the coaching and playing seasons. And not only was like COVID and you come back and I go, like you said, you guys are ready for fall. And then you get the call that your guys aren't playing in 2021. So like, what are some of the things that you've been most proud of in your time so far at Bethune Cookman? I think for our program is not backing down from the adversity. Um, you know, with us, everything that we go through, it's it's like for us, we have the blinders on, man. Like we don't worry about the external noise um, coming from everywhere else. We're just worried about our baseball program, our student athletes and what we can do to provide them a really good experience that they're going to be able to talk about 20, 30, 40 years down the road. Uh, that's the one thing that I'm most proud of um, if if we're talking about this, because, you know, yeah, the baseball memories that they're going to remember that some may not, but they're always going to remember how we treat them, you know, yeah. what their experience was like getting an opportunity to go to the box for, you know, three days last year or, you know, for that weekend series. Again, that's something they're going to talk about for 20 years down the road, going to South Carolina to Columbia in the next two weeks. Regardless of the outcome, we want to be a better team leaving than what we were when we first got there. And I think that these opportunities present themselves every day that we're out, you know, scheduling or even recruiting, Um, you know, before it's really for our players, man, just, you know, giving them an experience that they're going to be able to talk about is what I'm most proud of right now. And just the way that us as a coaching staff have been able to handle the adversity to block out some of the stuff that's been happening and having our guys just really concentrating and working towards the the betterment of our program and taking this to the next level. That's awesome. I like that a lot. Could you talk a little bit about the SWAC um, and just the conference? I know first year, last year in the league, but uh, a league that is impressive in many different ways. And I know that uh, you guys, Alabama State, Southern, Grambling State, like there's some very competitive teams um, within the SWAC, and it's a fun league to follow. Uh, Talk about the first year in the SWAC um, last year, and then also just in general how you've reacted uh, to having a year under your belt in this league and your impressions overall of this conference. I would first say that if people would really give the opportunity to follow the SWAC, they should. Um, It is a competitive and and fun conference to follow. This isn't a a Romeo over conference. You know, we have teams in our conference that have had success against Power 5 programs and some of the top mid-major programs um, in the country. So to say that the SWAC is, you know, the worst conference in the country, I disagree with anybody who would say that all of the head coaches do a phenomenal job. Their coaching staffs do a phenomenal job in recruiting, identifying, developing uh, the student athletes. If, if we look at the competition, Grambling last uh, week, I believe, against Arkansas, had Arkansas on the ropes in Fayetteville. You know, it, it, it's a really good conference and the pitching is there. It's offensively driven. You have a ton of athletes. You have dudes that get after it. Again, it's it's a very good conference. Um you know, for us, there was a difference from the MIAC, um, you know, to the SWAC. The MIAC was a little bit more pitching defense uh, driven. Uh, the SWAC is a lot more offensively driven, if that makes sense. But I think with the addition of FAMU and us in the SWAC, it, it just elevated, 
what was a really good conference already, you know. So so those are some things. I mean, Jackson State, I think, uh, a couple of years ago beat uh, in a regional Louisiana Lafayette, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, there's some really good ball clubs within our conference. But if people would really just pay attention just a little bit more to the SWAT conference, they'll see that this is a really good baseball conference. And I think yeah, I, people, uh, sorry, Charlie, I just no, uh, to yeah. say, I think people will realize that uh, if they follow the SWAC this year, and certainly yeah. if you look at the SWAC tournament um, in Atlanta, Georgia, at the home of the Rambling Rack, I mean, you know that that is uh, that's a legit tournament. Whoever wins that, you're they're they give hell to teams in regionals. I mean, a few yeah. years before you took over, I know you weren't in the SWAC at the time. Your team had the eventual national champions um, <laughs> a game away from uh, being eliminated. Um, in Bethune Cookman before you took over, so I, I absolutely second what you're saying on that front. Yeah, you know that 2017 year. I remember watching it on TV because I had one of my former high school uh, pitchers that pitched in that regional. You know, at with Bethune Cookman at that Florida regional, and you know they were one game away from winning the regional and being the first HBCU baseball program to win a regional and advance to the super regional. So I think with all the sports, like we know, right, football is king, but. You know, baseball definitely has an opportunity to put the SWAC, you know, on its back to put it on a national level. You know, I think baseball is is the one game or sport, sorry, you know, within our conference that we have the ability to compete with some of the higher, um, you know, I guess, conferences, stronger conferences, just because you, you still got to play the game. Yeah. Whether you're playing, you know, whoever, whether it's a power five team, whether it's a mid-major group, of five, it don't matter. You still got to go out and you have to compete for nine innings. Uh, there, there's no clock or there is a pitch clock, but you know, it's not like football or basketball, yeah. um, so to speak, but yeah, we're, we're definitely excited. I, I think all the coaches in the SWAC are excited about this season. And if you look at the records up and down so far in non-conference play, it's, it's been pretty competitive. Now I understand that we just had the Andre Dawson classic uh, down yeah. in new Orleans with seven of, of the SWAC teams. But again, that's, a preview of what may happen down the road. And it, it, it's an exciting brand of baseball. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I remember last year, Will and I were really big on Ty Hill out of Jackson state. Like he was a fantastic player. And I, I do agree with you in the fact that the swag for sure can compete in a baseball setting. Cause I think one of the great things about baseball, and I think what part of the reason Will and I started this podcast in the first place is there's a beauty in the fact that it really does not matter the size of the school. You can be a powerhouse anywhere you are. Like look at Cal State Fullerton in the 90s, Long Beach State. You guys are building a great thing going on right now. Like it really doesn't matter because baseball is kind of the, like you said, you got to play nine innings. There's no clock in the sense of the game's not over till the game's over. And I think that's, I totally agree with you. I think that's one of the beautiful things about baseball is any, you can go anywhere. It doesn't matter where you started. It just matters where you finish. Absolutely. And, and again, like, that's why these non-conference games are so essential for us to get us ready for that grind yeah. of a 30 game conference schedule. So it's, it's good. And again, like every head coach that we have in our conference and their coaching staffs does, they do a phenomenal job getting their guys ready. Like it ain't a weekend where you can just roll to the ballpark and say, all right, we got three in the bag. Like, absolutely not. It's yeah. a dog fight every weekend. And we wouldn't expect anything else because that's only going to elevate or enhance the experience within our own SWAT conference. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was looking at your schedule and you guys have definitely, like you guys have me pumped to see a, a lot of these games obviously coming up. Like I'm very excited to watch you guys play UCF on Tuesday. If you wanted to talk about that a little bit, feel free to like, I just, that's a team I was very excited about. You're also another team I'm very excited about. It's like, there's a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. You, What's the game plan going into that one? 
Uh, well, UCF, you know, Coach Lovelady and I have known each other for a while. You know, we worked with USA Baseball together and, and their coaching staff and our coaching staffs, like we're we're all friends, right? But yeah. I think when it comes down to game time, we want to beat them and they want to beat us. Now, they're coming off a, a very impressive sweep uh, from Clemson oh, and yeah. we're coming off a four-game sweep, right? So um, for us, it's just staying in the moment, being present. You know, just because we won four games doesn't mean that you're automatically guaranteed to win a fifth game in a row. Sure. You still got to play the game. You still have to execute. You still have to do the little things that's going to separate yourself um, from the next team in order to, you know, to get that W at the end. But, you know, for us, I think it's going to be an exciting matchup. You know, we're, again, we're just going to give it our best shot. We got a freshman on the mound that that's going to pitch for us on, on Tuesday night against the Knights of UCF. And, Again, I'll put our guys up against anybody, and let's just go out and play nine innings and let's roll. Absolutely. That gets me fired up. I'll be watching that game for sure. There's no question. And, and Coach, when we talk about uh, the lure of playing at Bethune-Cookman and representing the Wildcats, and and you guys particularly this year, uh, starting the year with a ton of home games, what, 11 of your first 12, uh, you get to have home cooking in Daytona Beach, Florida. But I just wanted to talk about Daytona Beach. I mean, is that a is that a lure to, to players to know that you're going to be just in an incredible environment? Um, Florida's Atlantic Coast is, is a fun uh, place for – college athletes that want to go play the weather's great i mean florida is really in many respects heaven for baseball so um is is that location um uh, something that you you draw out in the recruiting process absolutely especially when we're going to recruit on a national level right especially if we recruit guys from the midwest and, and the northeast like hey man you can come down here and you don't have to worry about working out inside a bubble or inside a gym like you're pretty much outdoors you know the moment you step foot on campus to the moment that you know, you head back home for summer vacation or summer ball, but it's definitely a great draw. You know, for us, we're at Jackie Robinson Ballpark. We're very fortunate to have a very good relationship with the Daytona Tortugas, who's the minor league affiliate for the Cincinnati Reds here in Daytona. And we pretty much have the stadium from, you know, the moment the guys start school till pretty much the end of the season. And we work well with each other to come together to put a schedule that's conducive for us to have as many home games as possible. It, it makes sense for us as a program to be pretty much home heavy the first two months before the minor league season starts. And I think the best thing that happened for us as a program was major league baseball, allowing minor league baseball teams to have one week at home, one week on the road. So it makes it easier as far as the logistical planning of that, uh, because it wasn't like that my first year. If you look at the schedule of, of our first year in 2019 here, we were on the road essentially, I believe it was April and May, you know, where this year, yeah, we're on the road April, but we have at least two or three weekends that we're able to finish off the season at home. Um, all turf facility, um, you know, that, that we have brand new video board. I mean, it's a minor league stadium, you know, that yeah. that's another draw as well. The schedule is a draw, but, but definitely being here in the beach, um, it, it allows the guys to have a different outlet. Um, which I believe that they do need to have because at the end of the day, these kids are 18 to 21, 22, 23 years old. They can't just be baseball, baseball, baseball. They also have to be able to live their own life, right? They have to be able to be um, student athletes. They have to get their stuff done. So even if it's a day where they can walk on the beach and just kind of clear their heads, especially with all the stuff that's going on with mental health, um, you know, that's definitely a draw, you know, for that. So um, it's it, it's been great so far, so good. And we're planning now knock on wood a 30 to about 40 million dollar renovation in that stadium so that's just gonna blow the waters with what we're able to do on the recruiting side because now the facilities 
even though we have a really nice facility, that's just going to enhance that uh, for us moving forward. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I mean, I've played on some really nice fields. I've played at Bush Stadium before, and like I've been to a million most state games, but they also play in a minor league stadium. It does, and I agree. Like it's one of those things where you don't really think about it for at first, because especially in high school, you're just used to playing on like the worst fields you ever see in your life. Like I remember playing pitching on baseball mounds where it had like a 90 degree just drop off the end at the bottom <laughs> of it. So certainly one of the things that I I was a player, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm definitely going to Bethany and Cookman. They've got that going on. Yeah. For sure. Uh I only really have one last question for you. I know we're running almost on an hour. I ask everybody this question. It has nothing to do with baseball. I just like asking it. And that is what is your favorite Pop Tart? Favorite Pop Tart. Oof. I would say strawberry and it has to be toasted. There we go. Okay. As long as it's Man. not brown cinnamon brown sugar. That's all I care oh, about. Oh, no shot. No <laughs> way. Thank you. You get you get it. You get it. Yeah. I mean, the Pop Tart companies needs to start paying Charlie because oh, this know. market research, I mean, he's asked everybody, you know, and everybody <laughs> has a different answer, you know, and you could line it up across the demographics. But coach, my final question to you. Um, talk a little bit about, I was reading in the Daytona beach news journal about how you had, you talk about Jackie Robinson. Uh, you had the players walk across the outfield there and you called them trust walks. Talk about that. Yeah. So I actually got that from a podcast uh, that I heard with Pat Murphy, who's the, uh, coach Murphy is the head coach, the softball coach at the university of Alabama. And then there was a study that was done. It was 36 questions that, that lead to love. And there's two things that are going to be a downfall of every program, and that's going to be jealousy and envy, right? Th th those are two things that are going to be a downfall for every program, especially with us bringing in guys kind of year in and year out. I wanted to be able to put our players in a situation where they got to know each other on a deeper level, not just, hey, you know, Charlie and, and Will, you guys are doing the midweek podcast. Like, no, man, like, let's peel back the layers. Let's see what are some things that you're grateful for. Let, let's be able to, again, right, like peel the layers of the human being. And, and that's something where it takes maybe five minutes out of the day. Right? We do them usually on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, don't do them on game days. So we'll go this week, Wednesday, Thursday, just kind of back to back. We pair everybody. Every question is different. So like one question, the, the first question, it, it was just like, you know, you had a chance to take a celebrity out for dinner. Who would it be? Why would you choose them? And what would you eat with them? And it's just, let's say if Will, you and I are together, like I'm talking for two minutes and part of being an effective communicator is being an active listener. So not only are you conditioning the players to get to know each other, now you're conditioning them to be active listeners and be able to work on their communication skills. So it's just different questions and the guys love it. They enjoy it because at the end of the day, like they get to really know the background of a person based on the several different questions that, you know, we give our guys. So it's been good. It's definitely brought the team closer. And I saw that the the opening weekend, you know, where they were all pulling for each other and they all kind of get their own story out there as opposed to, yeah, you know, I'm Johnny Hernandez from Hialeah, Florida, and I'm the head coach of Bethune Cookman. Well, yes, you're a baseball player, but you're a human being first. And let's get to know each other on a personal level. And that hopefully is going to pay dividends down the road as the season goes on. Because as we know, right, like you're, every team's going to have their ups and downs. The great teams are the ones that don't let conflict still continue to be there. So in order to break that conflict, you have to have trust. The only way you have trust is by spending time with each other. If you spend time with each other, you get to know a person that much more. 
So those trust walks so far have been very crucial for us the first two or three weeks of the season. And we're going to continue to do this. And it was just something I got off a podcast with Coach Murphy and uh, Coach Sheets from uh, Georgia Gwinnett that I listened to it and I put it to use. And so far, so good. That's awesome. I like that, that a lot. Is. So, yeah, it's one of those things, like, it's not always about, like, like you're saying, I was asking about recruiting, it's not always about the actual ability of the player. Like, understanding is a big thing, because I've definitely been on teams where it's super frustrating because, you know, I see all the talent we have here, but like, nothing clicks because no, either it's, the teams are literally too clicky or just people just don't want to listen to each other. It becomes really frustrating. That's easily how you lose a lot of games you shouldn't be losing. A hundred percent. And that's why we put that into, and then we also, from that podcast, we affirm positive behavior. You know, that's another way to take out the jealousy and the envy yeah. of, of anybody, right? Like, again, it's hard, right, to see you're not in the starting lineup. But yeah. you can impact the game being in the dugout. Pickoff signs. Look at the tendencies. Whatever we can do to help each other. Because for us, again, like, the message for us, excuse me, to our program is nobody cares about the individual statistics or the individual accolades. We're going to be able to achieve great things as a team. 20, 30 years from now, nobody's going to remember that you went three for four in the conference championship game. You're just remember, hey, man, like I hugged this guy and he was crying because all the hard work and sacrifice we did. And if you get a ring, yeah, well, yeah, the the school logo is here. That's what we're doing this for. We're just trying to continue to build on this tradition. It's, It's not about one specific person. It's not about me as a head coach. It's about this program and what we can do to continue to build the tradition at Bethune-Cookman. And I, I really do think we're heading in the right direction uh, based on everything that we've kind of gone through and what we could, will continue to grow our program and grow our brand. And kind of slowly but surely, people are going to start noticing not only Bethune-Cookman, but other teams in the SWAC. They're going to have positive outcomes these next couple of weeks before we start conference play. Absolutely. The SWAC is back. And I do agree with you, like, about the memories and everything. Because like one of my favorite memories from playing was – I, like my junior year in high school, we won districts against um uh the Smet High School, who's a really good team in St. Louis. And there, we beat their ace in um the district championship. He was gonna he played he played Eric Miller if you know who he is. He played at Stanford for four years. But uh, I play I threw three innings that whole year, and two of them were just a throwaway game. But like being that dog pile is something better than that. Like way more fun than my senior year where I played a lot more. One hundred percent. No, that that really is cool, and I just I think. I, that fired me up when I read that because yeah. it, I think it's as a baseball coach, it's probably harder than any other coach that I see. Um, you could argue maybe football or some other school, but you're traveling. You, some you have forty guys. You're traveling thirty plus guys. Nine are on the field at once, so it's like yeah. there are guys that are going to ride pine. And, and how do you respond to that mentally? Um, but if you're all for each other, um, certainly that helps the team. So I really love that. And, and Charlie and I. Um, I, I could, I can't speak for Charlie, but I certainly can speak for myself. We were guys that we wrote a lot of pine, you know, oh, so we, all the time. We, we, know, we know what it was like, um, to be able to be good teammates, even throughout that. Yeah, absolutely. It's about being a selfless teammate and then just put the program first and let's get ready to roll, you know, and then yeah. every opportunity that comes your way, you know, you just take advantage of it. And the one thing that we do is we talk to our guys, whether it's the starters, whether it's the bench guys, like we always have communication with those guys and they understand where they stand. Um, It's not like someone's in the dark. Well, why am I not starting today? Well, no, you're not doing this because you're not executing X, Y, and Z. This is what we need to get better at. So let's meet today at this time. Let's go work on the field, you know, and and those opportunities would would be warranted. But um, again, I I think the group is is a tight knit group. I, I think they're all really pulling for genuinely pulling for each other. 
Yeah. It's not fake. Like, that's the one thing with these guys. Like, they can see right through fakeness, right? And, and and I think they're genuinely really, like, they love each other, they care for each other, and they're genuinely pulling for each other because at the end of the day, it doesn't take one person, right? One guy can go four for four, hit four home runs, and not everybody does their job. Well, we still lose five four. So it, it takes a whole team to do what we need to do. And I'm uh, very excited about the rest of the season uh, coming up, especially as we start swag play with the reigning swag champs, Alabama State, in about two weeks or three That's weeks. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. Coach, uh, appreciate your time uh, this Thank afternoon you. so, 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 so much. I mean, this was some awesome stuff, uh, some, some pure gold. Some of the stuff you said, it really it's worth its weight in gold. We, we absolutely love it and uh, really appreciate uh, the opportunity to connect with you. No, I appreciate you guys for having me on and letting, you know, me speak about our program and, you know, good luck to you guys. And if there's anything that that you guys need down the road, and if you're ever in Daytona beach, just feel free to let me know and catch a, catch a ball game at the Jack. For sure. dude. Right on. Well, that does it for the midweek podcast. Uh, Thanks again. And uh, we'll be back soon. Are you working? What kind of work do you do?